Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Monday DeFilippis. And Christina Lear. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Spertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 94. I'm your host Dustin and today we have with us... This is Donovan. This is Joe. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of June 3rd through June 16th. And uh, we have a total of five books to cover and quite possibly we might actually get a discussion this time based off the fact that... uh, we do only have five books, and there's only two weeks' worth of news. Mm-hmm. So with that, let's just get right into it and uh, start going over some of the news so we can get to that possible discussion. Bruce Wayne? Knew it. And that makes you Dick Grayson. And you are? Sorry. As a not-quite-official freelancer, I have to go the extra mile to protect my privacy. She's Barbara Gordon. Gordon? As in the commissious kid? Um, The very first thing we have is on June 5th, Kyle Higgins talked with Newsarama about what is upcoming in Nightwing. So for this interview, I will read for Newsarama, and Don will read for Kyle Higgins. Kyle, now that you're coming out of the Court of Owls crossover, what does issue number 10 represent for Nightwing as he moves forward, and what will it be like for readers? For readers, I wanted Nightwing number 10 to be a jumping-on point for people who had picked up Nightwing during Night of Owls and liked what they saw. We're starting a brand new storyline and setting up a new direction for the book for this issue. Dip begins a new adventure within Gotham at the start of issue 10, and we hit the ground running with his new life in Gotham. Because the first arc had Dick traveling with the circus, what will he do now that he's in Gotham? Can you give us an indication of his supporting cast now, or his job? We're really filling out all those kinds of things for Dick beginning with issue number 10. The next arc are the Tomorrow People, and it's dealing with the next generation of Gotham. Obviously Nightwing, Dick Grayson fits into that, but there are some other characters who will show up in the heading as well, and some of them will stick around on the book to become the supporting cast. Sonya Zuko is back. Ooh. Sonya Zuko is back, the daughter of Tony Zuko, starting in issue 10. She's a really cool parallel to Nightwing because they're both characters that are trying to carve out their own way in Gotham City. There are some really interesting possibilities for that relationship. We'll see the deputy mayor, who Nightwing just saved in the Court of Owls. He'll be coming to the book. And there's a cop, a detective, who may or may not be out to frame Nightwing. These are all, in my mind, the next generation of Gotham. We'll also meet the newest villain, Paragon, who leads the group called the Republic of Tomorrow, and he believes that he is tomorrow's son and the true god of tomorrow. And in his mind, the false idols of yesterday must fall to pave the way for him. Since Nightwing is in Gotham now, will he run into the other Batman characters more often? I'm planning on having Tim in the book soon. And obviously, there will be constant interaction with Bruce since they're both working in Gotham. The tie between Batman and Nightwing was significant during the first half of your run. Does that continue? Where it makes sense. As long, as long as Scott Snyder is on Batman, there will always be a place for us to tie those books together and cross over when it makes sense. All right, so that's the name of that interview. Um, 
the the interesting thing one Sonia Zuko's uh, or Sonia Branch as we know knew her originally is back in the title uh, not in this title she, the last time we saw her she was in Scott Snyder's run on Detective Comics uh, before the New Fifty Two started um, another new villain at this point I think I've realized that no matter what there's always going to be new villains so there's no reason to argue about that but for the most part. I'm looking forward to this, you know, the you know tomorrow people arc because the reality is, it would be nice if there was a consistent cast of characters within these titles, um, as we've seen in very few of these books. Um, at first, I was kind of like, well, they're going to start Nightwing and Gotham and introduce that life, but that was basically issue one. That's kind of how they said the the. the um, I remember at least when the series was coming out. That's how they said the series was going to be. So, like, okay, are we starting over again? But then when the interviews started talking about the new supporting cast and Paragon and the Republic of Tomorrow, it sounds really interesting, honestly. Um, I'm glad that we're going to be getting some uh, Tim and Dick action. Let me rephrase that. I'm glad that we're going to get some uh, scenes with Tim and Dick. And um, it sounds like Higgins really does know what he wants to do from here on in. It's going to be a lot more of a stable title. And I'm looking forward to that because I think the circus arc was a bit too mired in... Uh, changing from one thing to another. It's kind of hard to have the series kind of staple down, but I think the series has settled down now to where it can be more consistent. Um, I don't really remember how the Sonya Zuko thing ended with uh, Scott Snyder's run, but it will definitely be interesting to see her return in the book. I'm looking forward to seeing Kim in the book and more crossover with Batman. Uh, I don't want it to be like a team-up book, because... Dick Grayson is definitely a strong enough character to stand up on his own, but he's a member of the Bat family, and I definitely want to see some crossover with the other titles, and it'll be good to have Tim in, just because we don't really see him in the Batman universe at the moment. Alright, so then the next bit of news we have comes from June 6th. Comic Resources reported that Becky Cloonan will be filling in for Greg Capullo for issue number 12 of Batman. This is the first time that Capullo will be off the title since the beginning of the New 52. Clunin is a fan favorite who has worked on numerous publishers, including Vertigo. She was approached by Scott Snyder back at Kapow Comic Con just last month with the pitch for the issue. The issue will feature the story of Harper, the character introduced for the first time in Batman number 7. Snyder also stated that Capullo will be back on the title after issue number 12. It will definitely be good to get a follow-up to Harper from issue 7 because... You know, we were promised that we were going to see some of her in the future, and we haven't of yet, so I'm looking forward to that, even if it is with a fill-in artist. Also on June 6th, the new Batman digital series, which obviously we don't talk about the digital stuff very much on the on the podcast, but the digital, the new digital series actually got a name, and it's called Legends of the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. It refers back to, it's kind of a throwback back to Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, which kicked off in 1989 and ran through uh, 2007, had over 200 issues in that series and a number of annuals, but the whole point of that series was out-of-continuity stories where it could tell stories that not only out-of-continuity, con- but also could tell stories you know, depending on different parts of Batman's history as well. So, needless to say, this is the new throwback, and eventually this will be reprinted in print, Um, so you'll be able to check that out. Um, These are coming out every single Wednesday, 
Um, so you can check out a new a new chapter of Legends of the Dark Knight every. You can check out a new chapter of this digital series every Thursday, as a new one will be released every single Thursday. All right. So moving along, June 8th, uh, there was it was revealed on the source that September will be because of its the one year anniversary of the launch of the New 52. All of the series will be getting an issue zero. These issues will explore the origins and answer some of the questions that fans have asked since the relaunch. In addition to that news, there was a new series that will fall into the Batman universe that was revealed. It is called Talon. It is uh, plotted by Scott Snyder, written by James Tynion IV, with art by Gillian March. The solicitation read, Meet Calvin Rose, the only Talon to ever escape the grasp of the Court of Owls. This former assassin of the court is trying to live a normal life, but that's impossible when he's being hunted by his former masters. Uh, the series will kick off with a zero issue and then give the and give the characters history, and then issue one will follow in October. In addition to the in, the announcement on the source, USA Today ran a story about the news and revealed a couple of other things looking to look forward to with the talent series, including the zero issue will get readers caught up with the origin of Rose, how he used to be an escape artist in Haley Circus, the true that has trained all of the men and women who have become talents over the years and found a way out of the court and how the owls have been in pursuit of him ever since. Rose will be unlike many of the other talents we have seen during the Night of Owls because he's a more recent recruit and still a living one. One of the aspects that sold Snyder on the idea was that Gotham coexists with other cities such as Metropolis, Coast City, and Star City so Rose would best be a character built to exist anywhere. Gotham is a wonderful, rich starting point for Rose, Snyder says, but as much as he's a fan of Batman's hometown, he can't wait for storytelling opportunities in Talon waiting outside the city's limits. It shows how the DCU works as a shared and realistic place as well. He adds, you'll learn how the cities you work together and what any one villain or superhero does has reverberated reverberations in other places around the world too. And then, in addition to that, Comic Book Resources talked to Dan DiDio about the Zero Issues, so I will read for Comic Book Resources, and Joe will read for Dan DiDio. Let's get into these Zero Issues. In a lot of ways, this is a real no-brainer twist on celebrating year one of the relaunch. Was it something you had in mind from very early on in the whole process, or did it come once the first issues were out on the stands? We knew we wanted to start all of our stories in the action, though some of the books did need origin stories. But we knew there would be a lot of questions out there as we were rolling new stories and series out. While we really got to move these stories forward, we didn't always get the past information necessarily to, necessary to fill in some of the blanks about the characters' origins or motivations. So this Zero Issue initiative allows us to refocus on some of the characters, to fill in some of the blanks, and, more importantly, to give everyone another wonderful jumping-on point to get involved with the New 52. Because it's not just that we're doing another jumping-on point with the Zero Month, it's that we've also got our first trades coming out. So if somebody is just reading these books for the first time, we're only a year into the stories, so it's very easy to come in and be part of the fun. You're also launching four new titles, and when I heard what they were, I couldn't help but think they are synced up really well with a lot of the general industry discussion we've heard since the New 52 launched. Let's start with the event comics. One of the selling points for the New 52 was the level of self-containment. There were eventually some character crossovers, and now stories like Night of the Owls and The Culling, and now we've got Talon, an ongoing series from Scott Snyder, James Tini IV, and Gillian March. 
which is the first fully-fledged spin-off series of the New 52. How have all of the moves leading up to this book reflected how you think events should best work on comics right now? In some ways, what we wanted to do was build a strong foundation with the existing titles and series that we owned. So we wanted to give each series a chance to breathe and find its own audience and voice. But we always wanted a continuous, contiguous world where all the characters fit in the same space. And the original crossovers that we did, and you remember that I did the first one between Omak and Frankenstein, we wanted to do stories that made sense to the characters that were involved in them. We wanted the crossovers to feel more natural and organic, especially for the characters involved. When we did Night of the Owls, it was unique to the Batman world, and that's why you don't see the talent showing up in Wonder Woman, or any other book. It was a Batman story, and it branched out to all the books that made sense. With The Culling, we had a bunch of younger characters, and we wanted to show how they would interact. That made sense. So we're constantly looking for ways to cross over stories and ideas that make sense and make this feel like it all takes place in one, shell, in one shared world. We have to just find the places that make the world, that make the most sense, rather than just telling big stories that are overly complicated and encompass all 52 books. So the Zero Month is a shared idea. It's a month where we'll be revealing different secrets and origins of the various characters or addressing questions that might be out there. We're also creating new questions to be addressed in stories moving on. The other really interesting about thing about Talon is the series is that it's the first New 52 book that's that's a brand new character we've only just met. Every other book in the line has some kind of background as a past franchise. Have you been looking for more opportunities to do an all-new stuff like that? One of the things I think we didn't do with the New 52 that we should have done was have more original ideas in there. We hedged our bets to go with known product and characters so fans would have at least a sense of familiarity with the books themselves. Now that we've got some strength behind the New 52, we can start getting more aggressive with some new ideas, new characters and new conceits so we can flesh out the world so it isn't just a repackaging or revisiting of everything that's come before. Alright, so that's the end of that interview. Now, the one thing I have to kind of point out because I find it kind of interesting is that that first question that Dan DeDio uh, responds to, um, you know, he specifically says, well, this is a great, this is another great jumping on point for people who are getting into the New 52 because it's only a year into it and, you know, with this, you can you can learn the origins, but then you can also go pick up the the trades with all of the, the the stories from the first year. The only problem with that is, so that's so you had the solution for 2011. This is your solution for 2012. What do you do in 2013, 14, 15, 16, so forth and so on? You can't do a jumping on point every single year without alienating the people who've been reading the stuff from day one. I'm not looking forward to reading a, t- a book about talents. We spent like the last, it seemed seemingly a lo- the last year talking about uh, owls and talents and stuff. And now that the, now that we're kind of into the fall of the House of Wayne's, uh, you know, I thought we were going to kind of go to a new storyline. Adding another, uh, pre- essentially a, another bad book about the talents is that really annoys me. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, whether we will or not, uh, we probably will. Uh, I'm quite looking forward to the zero month because I think it'll be interesting seeing some of these sort of origin stories I guess especially when it comes to books like Batgirl we might actually get some answers in it for once uh, as for the talent series I'm not looking forward to it I wonder what uh, Guillaume March is on this, I wonder what's going to happen to Catwoman um, because even in that title he hasn't been the most consistent artist 
just hearing the, descri- the description of what the talent is going to be, it doesn't really seem to make sense, especially compared to what we've learned in issue 10 of Batman. I don't know, it just it seems like it's kind of, you know, jumping on the court of housing and like Don was saying, you know, we've heard so much about it already, I, I don't think anyone's going to be that interested in it whenever this series comes out, so I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> um, I'm annoyed with this zero issue month. I know that a lot of people... I guess we'll... I mean, they're excited just like Joe said to see these origins, but I'm just... I feel like I'm going to be upset with whatever comes out, especially as it relates to Batgirl. So I think that's why I have, like, a negative attitude on it. It's just kind of like another nail into the coffin that is the old... the pre-New 52, that sort of thing. Uh, As for the Talon, yeah, you know basically what everyone else said unless it's a compelling story we've seen some talents that have really compelling backstories and they've really made the issue come alive and if this particular talent has that then that'll be great but again we have another circus talent and we kind of already have a circus book being nightwing so he's not different to start out with but i guess we can only wait and see since we'll be covering it here on the Batman universe. Yeah, that was uh, one of the other things. It said that Haley Circus had trained all of the talents, but I thought we'd kind of established that it had been going long before Haley Circus. Was that something that we kind of came to? Was that an established conclusion? Because it it seems like another thing where this book doesn't really seem to. I have no idea. Have any history? It just kind of. Starting to exist. Is it, is and is Rose like one of those towns that are like from the eighteen hundreds? No, it says he's still alive. So like the only one that's still alive or something. Okay, so, so is he, he like Nightwing's age? I, I would assume something like that. Or does, yeah. it, does he have an t- eternal youth? <laughs> so many questions. There's a couple of interesting questions about the actual timeline of the towns because why it was William Cobb the talent that was taking on Bruce Wayne if he was from <clears throat> two generations back. Why was he taking on Batman underneath the city as the, the current talent? That didn't make a lot of sense to me. But then there's guy who's Calvin Calvin Rose. This character is, you know, one of the most recent recruits. Okay, so he's one of the most recent. So what he does he know who Dick Grayson is? Was he at Haley Circus the same time? Because that would be the same time frame, because Dick Grayson was supposed to be the current talent, so how'd that all work out? But anyway, moving right along. Um, June 11th, the Zero Issue details were released, and I'm just going to roll through them. Um, Batman number Zero plans on revealing the history of the Batsuit, Batmobile, Gadgets, and the Batcave. Ugh. Batman begins. Detective Comics. Detective Comics number zero reveals the history of Bruce learning martial arts and how a major villain was introduced to him. (laughs) Batman the Dark Knight number zero reveals the history of Bruce investigating his parents' death and the reveal of Joe Chill. Uh Batman and Robin number zero reveals the history of Damien and his relationship with his mother. (laughs) Batman Incorporated number zero shows how Bruce recruited his lieutenants. Talon number zero shows the only Talon to ever escape the Court of Owls' grasp is explored. Batwoman number zero reveals more of the history of Kate Kane. Batgirl number zero 
reveals how Barbara first became Batgirl and how one fateful night changed everything. Oh my gosh. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> this is going to get me really upset. Okay. Nightwing number zero reveals the origin of Dick Grayson. Batwing number zero on how Batman chose him as an ally. Birds of Prey number zero reveals the first meeting of Black Canary and Batgirl. Catwoman number zero reveals the origin of Selina Kyle. Red Hood and the Outlaws number zero reveals how Jason Todd came back to life after being killed by the Joker. Mm. And Teen Titans number zero reveals the origin of Tim Drake. Quick comments on a bunch of these. Number one, Batman the Dark Knight number zero revealing Joe Chill. It wasn't even a year ago that yep. Scott Snyder said that he one of the things he wanted to take out was the fact that Joe Chill was the person who killed his parents and more of a Joe Chill was like a John Doe. Yep. Um, so... Well, it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. Is it saying that Joe Chill is the person, or is it saying that Joe Chill is the the John Doe? Well, it's he was supposed to have an identity. It's a solicitation, but it's just Bruce is investigating his parents' death, and the reveal of Joe Chill just makes it sound like he figures out who killed his parents, which Scott Snyder said he specifically didn't want to happen. Um, And also goes against issue ten of Batman. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the other ones that are kind of interesting, Batwoman number zero reveals more of the history of Kate Kane. We already had a Batwoman number zero. That was only a year and a half ago that that happened. My God! Um, and they they did explain her entire origin already. So, um, to I guess if they're going to change bits, or maybe they're going to have six different origins of the six characters that they've been featuring in Bat Batwoman. Um, the other ones that are, were kind of interesting was um, Batwing number zero, how Batman chose him as an ally. I really cannot wait to find out how they're going to make that an entire issue. This is another origin that they've already explained, um, so I'm not exactly sure why they would need to do that. Um, Red Hood and the Outlaws number zero with Jason Todd coming to back, how he came back to life after being killed by the Joker. That's going to be interesting because I'm wondering if they're going to you know, retcon Superboy Prime punching a wall and that being the cause because that would be quite interesting. Um, but the probably the most interesting one to me is Teen Titans number zero, which we may actually cover that uh. month because it's the origin of Tim Drake because the solicitation actually reads that Tim Drake was supposed to be an Olympian and a uh, what? Master- Olympian mess and a master chess player or something like that. Oh and how did this person become the third Robin? Oh my god. So that Not is interesting to me. They also Teen Titans is also including origins of two other characters that are newer to the new fifty two, but uh the main bulk of the story is going to be the Tim Drake's origin, so most likely we'll be covering that book that month as well. <laughs> Oh, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> oh, you gotta be kidding me. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Uh, first and foremost, that Catwoman cover is redonkulous. Um, second of all, uh, I see where the... Well, first, okay, okay. Um, obviously, this this is them repeating uh, the Zero Month from 1995, I guess, when they did Zero Hour. And that's, I'm not saying, you know, all the repeating this was automatically bad, but it's like... This it's literally the same thing where you know they're just kind of differentiating things and showing how things start up. I mean, I think it was. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are turning off their podcasts right now, but I think there was like Detective Comics issue zero during zero hour where they showed how Batman got his got his tech, uh, his tech and like 
all his uh, weapons and, and um, uh, his technology and all that stuff. And, like, I think... I forgot which Batman title is going to do it again, but, like... I just, I, it's, it literally, it is interesting. You can't deny it. it's interesting that they're they're literally doing the same thing again. Also, I mean, you can't deny the fact that because they're having a zero month to provide answers for continuity fans, i.e., the people, the only people who buy the comic books. To me, it kind of speaks of DC's desperation to keep the sales, keep the sales that that are high, high, and keep the ones that are floundering, flound, uh, getting them higher, like Batwing, which is like mere days away from getting canceled. Um, I'm not interested in any of these new origins. I mean, I, I, I know I, I have no room to bitch because it is the new 52, but like really, I, I just, I'm just not. I mean, I really, it's not even been 10 years since Jason Todd was brought back to life. And I understand, I understand it completely. They need to retcon away the Superboy punch. They'll probably go with the origin that they came out with uh, during the Under the Red Hood uh, directed video movie. But by and large, like it speaks to me that like. It, it's, it, it feels like a conflict of interest whether they didn't come out with this at the very beginning. Because um, if you're interested with the character, you're going to be interested in the character no matter what. And then they kind of come out with these, these uh, zero issues now. It's like I'm trying not to just be a hater on this, but I, it, a lot of these things really, really don't ingratiate me towards just being excited. It feels like they're kind of just throwing stuff at the wall and calling them origins, at least to me. But, I mean, let's hear what Joe and Stella think. Uh, I think... When I said that I was looking forward to these, I was hoping more for the the answers to the kind of the holes in the in the origins and things like that, more than just a retelling. But I guess at least it's a retelling for the new universe. I mean, we have got to realize, I guess, that this is supposedly the new Fifty Two, and that these characters aren't necessarily the same as they were before, as much as we like them to be. So it's, I think, with this, hopefully, will let us accept more. I guess you know when something feels off or something's not right or we wonder how something happened hopefully this will uh, be good for that I like how each of the Batman titles is handling a different aspect of Batman's origin because I would have worried that they'd all try and do the same thing Um, it seems pretty necessary for the new fans uh, because I think we had that quote from Scott Snyder about how I think that might have even been in the interview that Dustin did with him about how loads of people uh, emailed him or sent him messages asking how Batman had the live dinosaur in his cave after issue one of Batman so I think with those things it will help for the, the newer fans I'm looking forward more like I said to the uh, finding out some of the holes um, like with Batgirl as much as it will upset Stella <laughs> I think that with um, Red Hood is going to be interesting because I think that's a pretty convoluted origin and I don't think it's really been mentioned all that much in the New 52. So to bring it up for new fans who just kind of accept him as a former Robin turned a bit bad, I guess it's going to be, you know, it might actually be more confusing. I'm I'm probably looking forward to it more on some of the other characters that I'm reading, things like Frankenstein and Resurrection Man, seeing the changes to those books and those origin stories. But I guess the one that I'm looking forward to the most is Batman and Robin, just seeing Robin's relationship with Talia, with this this new Robin, because uh, he's obviously different to the one we had before. And then I guess the ones that are seem most tightly linked are going to be Batwing and Batman Inc, because they seem to be covering pretty much the same ground. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm you know, it feels like we've kind of seen these stories really recently, opposed to like some of the other ones which uh, not so much Batwoman's another one where you know they could almost just reprint that zero issue if they changed Batman's costume 
like they did for the first issue of Batman. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's good. I think they're going to be interesting. I think they're going to be helpful for new fans and as a jumping on point. I'm looking forward to hopefully clearing up some things, but not necessarily just a retelling. If especially if it's exactly the same. Um. Well, you know, after hearing that list, boy, am I <laughs> cemented in my feelings that I may, you know, go to take a short walk to a a bridge after this. Uh, you know, people are—they always say, "Hey, it's New Fifty Two. It's Flashpoint. You gotta accept it. It'll be okay." But really, how can you frame you yourself? so that you don't think at all of the past and what it was before. And I am just so fearful that, hey, guess what? You know, Babs is apparently a ballerina now, not a gymnast. How can I accept, like, drastic changes to a character's origin, a character that I love dearly? Um, So I am really scared about the back row one. The Birds of Prey one makes me slightly nervous just because, I mean, Chuck Dixon did a great job with uh, the Birds of Prey um, when it was just Oracle and Dinah, and Dinah didn't know who uh, Oracle was, and she just kind of went off on these different missions. So that will be interesting. I was actually shocked to hear that it's the first encounter between Dinah and Babs and not the first encounter between Dinah and, um, and Evelyn because... It's always been sort of a focused upon relationship, and only recently have Dinah and Babs become uh, more of the the focal point of the book. As for other ones, well, gee, I thought we knew the origin of the Batmobile and and all of his gadgets and his martial arts. Gee, I thought that we saw how he was resurrected in Red Hood and the Outlaws because remember how many backflashes we had on that? Batwing will be good because I think it'll be nice to see that sort of introduction. I don't remember what we said about Catwoman. Did we say anything about her? What her zero issue is? Origin of Selina Cow. Oh, okay. As if you couldn't guess. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, so it'll, I don't know. It's just, you know, do I completely separate myself and the knowledge that I have and just look at it from that sort of lens? Or am I just going, am I doomed to sort of always compare what is coming out now with what has been in the past? That's sort of the, the conflict that I feel um, as I read these books. And my feeling is this. Here's the thing. I have to look at it from the perspective of this is what they're going with. They're not going to revert back to the way things were. This would be, I mean, and it's, it, but that's the reality. I mean, yeah, it sucks that there's a lot of things that they could leave in the dust that we've that we've come to you know know and appreciate from the times that we've had with these characters. But the reality is, in regards to pretty much everything, if we looked at the Batman movies, <clears throat> if the next Batman movie comes out and it's obviously not Christopher Nolan, and it, and are we going to sit there and say this is a horrible movie because it's not what Chris Nolan did? Yeah, there's going to be people who, there's going to be people who do that, but the reality is you're not going to get Chris Nolan. We're not going to get Chuck Dixon to come back and do Batgirl or Birds of Prey. I mean, it's just not going to happen. We have to live with that because it's just not going to happen. So by living with that, you have to come to some sort of acceptance that this is the way things are going to be. And if they want to, you know, at least help us understand the characters a little bit more by doing this, 
I'm glad that they're doing this. I'm glad that they're taking the time to do this. I don't think that they're doing this for people like us. I think they're doing it for people, you know, that aren't reading the books, and so they they can jump onto the books. But the reality is, we need to embrace it as much as we can because otherwise, the alternative is playing a Joshua Lappin Bertonian giving up the books, which I'm very close to doing. But I don't. I don't think that. Ooh. At least my my personal thing is it's not so much. Oh no, it's not. What I'm well, it's a lot of what I'm familiar with, but I understand that they're changing things for this new universe, and they are not necessarily marketing to people who are used to the old universe. I understand that, and I, to a certain degree, I do accept that because that is the situation. A lot of it kind of goes into how they're doing it and how it kind of falls down, and the way these changes are coming out. That is that is what burns me. Now, a lot of it is just hurt feelings, and you know what I'm used to is now gone. That's absolutely the case, but. That's not what it, that's not what it all boils down to. At, at least for me, at the end of the day, because I am mature enough to recognize that they're they're they are trying to set up their new DC universe. But a lot of that, it, a lot of how they're doing it, is sort of like what is making this transition less easy for me. All right. So moving along, there was an interview that was done on June twelfth with Scott Snyder about what was going to be revealed in Batman number ten. We're not going to go over that interview because we're obviously going to review Batman number ten. Um, on June 13th, there was an interview done with James James Tingian IV with Comic Resources about the origin of Talon, or and how basically how the series came to be, and a little bit more about the character. We're not going to cover that one either because we've already really talked a lot about Talon. Um, if you're interested in that, you can check that out. Um, also on June 13th, Scott Snyder talked to Comic Resources about the reveal that was in Batman number 10. But again, we're not going to talk about that because we're going to review the actual issue on this episode. Um, so the last bit of news we have comes on June 14th, um, and it is a little bit of bright news. Um, Stephanie Brown will be returning to comics. <laughs> Ever since Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl ended almost a year ago, fans have asked questions relating to the heroine that surprised a lot of readers when sh- the series launched. Where is Stephanie Brown? While the last nine months, DC's response has little been little to no response regarding the Violet Hero. As it turns out, she will be appearing in a DC title very soon, as well as written by Miller himself. It was mentioned on the site that Batman will be making his first appearance in Smallville, um, and as it appeared as it appeared in the piece of art that was released for that announcement, Batman is not the only hero. Batman is joined by a sidekick. It was unknown exactly who the character was until it was revealed through an interview with TV Guide with Brian K. Miller that Stephanie Brown is Batman's psychic in Smallville. Although she is not in any of her past roles, she will don the, co- the, the costume of Nightwing. <laughs> Miller stated, Bruce can be somewhat of an angry man. Stephanie's personality is so can-do and unsinkable and bright, so it's very much on purpose on Bruce's part that he have a good cop going out on patrol with him every night. Miller also stated that it will be revealed on why Steph is Nightwing and not Batgirl sometime in the series. So while this may not be the answer that Steph fans have been looking for since her disappearance since the New 52 started, it should give some comfort knowing that the character is not completely forgotten. Well, uh, good news, I, I I think it's great that Stephanie's back, at least in some degree, she's not forgotten, mm-hmm. and Miller's writing her again, I mean, you, you could not choose a better person to write her than Brian Key Miller. Um, I think the decision to make her Nightwing uh, is kind of crazy, because it's like, okay, um, 
why why not make it? I mean, I know they said we'll, we'll explain later. Why can't they just explain now? But like, why why not make it Robin? Because she was Robin. Why not? I mean, like you know, I I'm not saying that I don't. I have no problem with her being Batman's partner. You know, it's not it's not any you know it's not Dick or Tim or Jason or whatever. It's Stephanie. That's cool. But like, why not make her? Why make her a character? Why make her a mantle that she never was? And why when she's been three different personas? That seems really weird to me. And I'm not sure. If, I mean, I'm sure there is a reason, but right now, maybe I, it was on purpose because she's been so many other mantles. Well, it's like you know, but there's really only been one mainstream Nightwing, though. It's it to me kind of feels like I, I don't, I can't really think of a reason why they would do that. And I'm, I'm kind of interested in it, but right now I can't think of a reason that which would be satisfactory. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, I mean, yay, Stephanie's back. Um, but why did you make your Nightwing? That's essentially what I'm saying. I think this is kind of expected ever since people found out that Frankie Miller was writing the Smallville uh, comic series. I think he'd even kind of joked or hinted about it. So. Well, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this. I, I think you know Smallville season eleven. I, I am really enjoying it, and it certainly is giving Brian Q. Miller a freedom which the show didn't necessarily provide him. So that's a great outlet. And, I mean, it's great to see Steph back in his hands. Yeah, Nightwing is a different handle, but, you know, I think we'll just have to check out how she's being used and how, if they even go into it, how the origin is for that and whether there were any Robins or anything going on uh, before her or at that point. But I'm just excited to have Steph and Brian Q. Miller back again. So that's really all I can say. All right, so that is all the news course if you want more news or previews and things like that you can always check out the site for all the latest news and previews so let's move right into our books the very first book we have is batwing number 10 now over the years batman has worked side by side with the world's greatest detectives sherlock holmes elongated man and of course, the most famous sleuth of modern times, that brilliant, brave, crime-solving canine, Scooby-Doo! Batwing, issue 10, written by Judd Winnick, illustrated by Marcus Toe. Jack by the Jackals. <laughs> um, we begin at the Tanasha police station where uh, David Zabimbi is, is hitting on his um, co-worker, Officer Kura, and asks her on a date. Uh, so when she gets off at midnight, they'll go out for drinks. I'm sure that will happen. Uh, we, we then immediately cut into the Atlantic Ocean, 30 miles off the coast of Africa, to the Jackals, who are a pirate group of... I'm not sure if they're gunrunners or drug runners or whatever. I'm not sure if they actually spe- specify that, but they're, they're criminals. Um, and they have hostages. Um, Batwing shows up and a fight ensues. We see that one of the leader of the Jackals, or at least one of the members, is answering to his father, who is in Gotham City, although we don't know the identity of, of the guy. Uh, Batwing is chasing him and then runs into a guy uh, in some glasses and a white shirt um, who, he before he could do anything about that, the boat that they were on explodes. Luckily, Batwing is saved by the uh, newly installed armor that Lucius Fox provided for him in the last issue. Uh, the scene then shifts to a split sequence between Gotham City and Tanasha where Batman and Robin are talking to Batwing and Matu. Um, and there's a lot of banter about who that uh, mysterious guy was. He turns out to be uh, a scientist by the name of Hoi Ding. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. Uh, Chinese nuclear scientist, he, the guy is. 
who's been missing for over a month. So while everybody's asking, what is a nuclear scientist doing on a pirate ship off the coast of Africa, uh, before any answers are given, we cut to the uh, estate of Nigeria's governor. I'm not sure if his name is Ripper's estate or if that's the name of the estate. But anyway, he's talking about how uh, he is running uh, an oil company that provides 3% of uh, the world's oil and how everybody needs to answer to him. And he's about to go to his granddaughter's birthday party when all of a sudden it's attacked by this, this roaming tank and just runs into the house and blows it up. Um, the scene then shifts to Beijing, China, where we see both Batwing and Nightwing investigate uh, the missing scientist's house. But they are set upon by, uh, I don't know if it's a group, but at least one of the guys is Chinese, a group of uh, basically criminals with a bunch of guns who are attacking him. He calls himself Long, as he has a, a dragon tattoo on him, and turns into a gigantic dragon. Uh, and then we end at a scene on Gotham City, and it revealed that um, the person on the phone was the penguin the entire time, as if we've not seen him, enough of him already. Next. <laughs> Dragons, penguins, and bats. Oh, my. All right, Batwing number 10. This was kind of interesting. When the initial solicitation came out, I really thought there was going to be a lot of pirates yeah. in the story right after the Night of Owls. And there really wasn't, which in my mind was a good thing because, quite honestly, I didn't really like the way the, the pirates were being written in those, first, in those few pages that they did appear in this issue. That being said... Um, to know that the entire thing was this ploy by the Penguin, and that Penguin has got something to do with something that's going on in Africa. Not that the Penguin couldn't have anything to do with something that's happening in Africa, but of all the places <laughs> for the Penguin to be involved in something, why is it in Africa, where there is a Batwing character? Why is it that Nightwing goes to help Batwing do an investigation in China. I'm almost thinking, like, they're, they suddenly realized this book will be cancelled, so we need Aww. to put in as many characters as we possibly can, even if they're in cameo appearances. Exactly. Do you That's really... Have. Oh. Go ahead. Well, I guess I just asked, do you really believe that? Yeah. Well, yes. why would they use Penguin? Do you think he would really be the the thing to get people's interest back in? He's in every effing book. Well, Penguin. Let's see. He was in Catwoman. He's, he's also in a, written he's by Judd Winnie. Yeah, he was in Detective he's Comics. In, he's in Catwoman. He had his own mini series. He mm -hmm. was in Detective Comics. He was in a lot of different books with Night of Owls. Um, Wasn't he in Dark Knight? Maybe. Yep, I think so. I think he was in. He's well, in the Batman Annual. Not, he was in the Batman annual. I mean, he's been in a lot of books. And I'm not saying that the Penguin is like, oh my god, the Penguin. If you put the Penguin in your book, your book is golden. <laughs> not saying that whatsoever. What I am saying, though, however, is that ever since we got done with the or like the, uh, the origin story and the reveal of who Massacre was in Batwing, everything has related back to something to do with Gotham City. And it even happened before the ultimate reveal of who Massacre was because mm -hmm. they ended up in Gotham City. <clears throat> it was understandable of why he was in Gotham City for Night of Owls because, well, he was already there because he was there before the, you know, he was before Night of Owls actually started. But do I actually believe that they're throwing these other characters in there to try to give the book some sort of boost? Yeah, I think they are, because the book is doing really, really bad. Oh. And, I mean, 
I don't know exactly where it is on the sales charts because I haven't been paying attention the last couple months, but I know for a fact the that Batwing was way, way up there in the ranks as far as uh, we're talking like between 75 and 100, and there was some months it was over the top 100 books. So that that's that's like automatic cancellation. And quite honestly, when they announced that all these new series were coming on September... Dan DiDio has always said over and over again that, you know, 52 is their magic number. They want 52. They want 52. And then they announced four new series, but they didn't cancel any. We just knew Justice League International was ending in August. So that's one. There's three other series that were getting canceled. So my immediate reaction was, well, Batwing must be getting canceled when I found that out. They're getting rid but of all the black people. It's not. They're, they're getting rid of three other books that have nothing to do with Batman. It's probably either going to get canceled or... Like Rob Liefeld's going to take over because that seems to have happened know. with Hawkman <laughs> and Deathstroke. I don't know exactly what's going on, but the the thing is, this wasn't a bad issue. It just I feel as if they're 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 doing their 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 stories that are being written and the stories that are being told are stories that it's if they're they're hitting for the 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 bleachers because if they don't hit for the bleachers. That they're going to be out no matter what, um, and the thing is, I think it, I think this actually was pretty good, despite the the cameos and all of that stuff. I think that overall, you know, Batwing showing that not only is he technologically smart, but he's also you know he's also using his detective skills, and things like that. That's what we should have been seeing all along instead of dwelling for six or seven issues on the story of his brother who is irrelevant to the series now because he's gone. They should have done that after the character was more established instead of telling the story of this character Batwing and how horrible of a childhood he had and how his brother turned out to be his ultimate villain all within the first seven issues. And I said this I said this months ago. And the thing is, they, they just should have figured this out sooner. Um, I thought the art by Marcus Toe was good. Um, no complaints on that. Um... As far as everything else, not really related to this issue, but Batwing is appearing in a crap load of series right now, which makes me also believe that it's only a matter of time before the series gets cancelled. Batwing's currently in Justice League International, and he's in Batman Incorporated, so it could only be a matter of time before this book is cancelled because, well, the character's already got other books that he can pop up in. Um, even with Justice League International being cancelled, there's other books that will come along where Batwing can be a part of it. Um, so, I'm going to give this 3.5 out of 5 Batarangs. Is he in Firestorm 2 that you said last time? Yeah, he was last one. Okay. Um, yeah, Desperate. That's what, I th- that's what kind of I think of this title. That, like, in this issue, we not only have uh, Nightwing, but we also have the Penguin. Um, and this issue can pretty much be summed up by my Facebook status after I read, after I finished it. <laughs> the Penguin again? <laughs> seriously? Like, re- seriously. We're really, we're really doing this again. And, like, I mean, is it, there's nothing to do with the fact that, like, I don't have much to do with, I don't have much to care about with the Penguin in the first place, but he's in every freaking title, basically. Every month. He's not that great of a villain. He really isn't. And, like, he's always doing these criminal backings. It's just, it's getting ridiculous, the fact that he's, he has his, he has his flippers in every pie. It really is, like, stretching credibility. I mean, I don't mind seeing him in, you know, like, a title, or t- you know, fairly often. But this is, like, 
every single time we, we do a, a show, the penguin somehow has his nose in something. And like this is like, and it's never, it's never really about the penguin. It's about it's about like whoever else is in the like like it's probably it's probably going to be more about this uh, long character than him at all. He's just window dressing, and that's just. That's one thing that I don't, it just bothered me that like he, he's in here again, like adding nothing essentially. Um, I know I'm sounding really, really negative, but I, I don't know. I guess I'm I guess I'm hungry and it's affecting my mood. Um, same thing with Nightwing though. Although it's kind of fun to have a, a, a scene where we can say Nightwing and Batwing because they're both winged characters, I suppose. But um, they kind of felt like he didn't really need to be in the issue either. Batman and Robin did because you know they were communicating, they were talking about the situation. That felt a little more natural than Nightwing kind of be randomly being thrown in there. I mean, Nightwing does have his own stuff to do. He's not Batman's soldier. He really, or at least he shouldn't be played that all the time. He shouldn't be at Batman's beck and call to just do whatever Batman wants. He should be, like, having his own thing. If he's willing to help out people, he is. But, like, it felt like it was a Batman Incorporated thing more than a, uh, a Batwing thing with Nightwing, guest starring Nightwing. Um, in fact, I'm kind of surprised that Nightwing wasn't uh, billed in this issue, but whatever. Um... The issue itself wasn't that bad, to be fair. Like, the, the art was great. It was Marcus Toe. Um, it was an interesting premise, you know, uh, who were these guys, I suppose. Um, and it, it was Batwing solving crimes, it was the, you know, and not whining about Africa. <laughs> so that was kind of, it was kind of interesting, but, like, this book felt very, very hollow to me. And it, it, it really is, to me, it's just, it's, I'm, I've seen the doomsday clock at the top every time. But I, I, give, I give this book no longer than three months before it's done. Um... But for what it for what it is, honestly, this isn't that bad. It's not that bad of a series, to be to be fair. And um, but it's just not that great to really sustain uh, any more numbers than I see any, I suppose. But I'm really sort of judging it on the whole, and not really judging the um, the issue itself. And I would give this issue a three and a half out of five better ranks. Yeah, I also I whilst I didn't uh, necessarily enjoy it, I'd say it wasn't a bad issue. I think this series is one of those ones where it's kind of it's in the middle, and that's where it's. A difficult place to be because it's, I mean it's difficult to talk about and it's also you know it's not like you can say how good it is and you can't just comment about how bad it is which uh, I mean it's a good thing if you're reading it obviously but when you're I'm mean, sorry reviewing it but if you're just reading it it's not overly entertaining uh, Marcus Toe I'm not sure if he's been a bit off perhaps uh, recently I'm not sure maybe it's just me but I thought he was really on form this issue. I really enjoyed the art. I thought it was a... So, like I said, I'm not sure if it's like... Um, maybe I just haven't really appreciated it in the last few issues, but in this one it really uh, was strong. I, unlike Donovan, like the relationship that Batwing has with Batman because, I mean, at the end of the day, he's a Bat character. Maybe I have a different um, view on Batwing compared to Don in that I feel that it should be related to Batman Inc. Not necessarily, I guess, you know, as a Batman Inc. story. I think that would be something... That's what I kind of was hoping that this would be to start with. Instead of having a specific Batwing character, we'd have, like, a Batman Inc. book where we have the soldiers of Batman Incorporated, you know, doing various missions. Because I don't think... They, they weren't written to to hold a whole series on their own. And I'm not... I mean... Del Winnick's done a, a fairly decent job, I think, of trying to establish a backstory and a reason for why they, uh, Batwing would want to fight. But it's still not completely there, I don't think, and I don't think it's strong enough necessarily to stand up on its own. And I'm not sure if I feel that it should be cancelled as much as it's a bit of a wasted opportunity. Perhaps it should 
change direction a bit whereas at the moment it's kind of still trying to find its tracks I think after it started off for me I think really strong it started to wane a bit and now it's just kind of I think Dustin put it as jumping the shark previously um, where it's, I mean the series is literally just jumping all over the place I, I, I wasn't disappointed or annoyed to see the penguin it just seems that in this in the new 52 he's a he's a lot more enterprising than he has been previously he kind of is a more influential character but I, I don't mind that because you know previously people have said what does he actually do <laughs> but uh, like I said I like to see Batman in there and, and David interacting with him I think that's that's necessary not like I said to have a team up every issue but just to keep that connection and then having Batwing you know as an do his own thing in terms of technology and stuff I think that's also important just to so that he doesn't just seem like a you know not a slave but just like a uh, a man wearing a, a bat suit he deserves it I think so a decent issue just not like overly entertaining but really good art so I'll give it three out of five batterings I'm a little disappointed to hear all of this news that it'll be cancelled, and I guess, well, I just don't generally <laughs> look at numbers or anything on Wes. You know, Dustin's talking about it on the show, and, you know, in the beginning, I thought, who is this character, or why, why should we care at all about him, you know, when the new 52 is being solicited? And then it started, and I actually really liked the character, and I'm just surprised that this but not something that was generally or is generally not good most of the time. Red Hood, like, I don't understand. I, I, it, there's just, like, a disconnect for me. And I really enjoyed this issue. Um, let's see. Well, I have, I think this is the most I wrote about all of the issues. It was this particular one, which is very telling. So, number one, David just struggles in life when talking with women. I thought that was wonderful. It's just continuing on, and you can just tell that he's not used to it. He's not the Bruce Wayne sort of guy, and I really like that. I liked Toe's art, uh, but on that first page, you know, in an attempt to draw handsome David asking someone out on a date, you should look at this one panel. He just ends up drawing David with, like, this very creepy smile, like... I don't know, uh, James Jr. Yeah, I noticed that, yeah. uh, I'm really surprised that the captain on the ship, now we're talking about the, the pirates here, you know, did not just kill the guy that's trying to get him to leave the ship and follow orders. Because, I mean, he's telling him, he's saying, no, those weren't our orders. And you would just think, hey, the captain, he's the captain of the boat, he's going to shoot down whether or not. But, you know, it makes sense when you can, once you continue reading. Connection to Gotham City, I wondered, you know, oh, what is this? What is this? And then, oh man, it's the Penguin. And I, I certainly agree with Donovan there. I think I saw his his Facebook status before I read this issue so it all became clear but gee he really does have his flipper and all sorts of pies I like the parallel between the bat in Gotham and the bat in Africa especially when they're around the monitor with their comrades it was just a great split screen that we saw I didn't like uh, that there was no transition to the scene in Nigeria and and really I have no idea how it fits into the story it's I mean, until Matu explains that his family is dead, which seems so quick and convenient, you just think, well, what is this? What is this side story? It doesn't really mesh well. I like that David is working with different members of the Bat family and learning from them as well. Uh, I guess I will suspend my disbelief that Nightwing could make it away from his circus and go to China because... 
Who was it that told us to do that? Was it Judd Winnick? I don't. I think that's who it was in yeah. that interview from last time. I like that we're getting to know Batwing a little more, you know, through Matu and, and Matu's sense of humor, and and you know, even Nightwing remarks that he is far away from Gotham and still with a humorless bat. And I just like that Batwing has a skill and advanced knowledge base. Um, he is serious. He's serious about his job. He's very much like Batman, and then we, he has this Alfred kind of guy that's sort of filling in the colors. I love the uh, the quote, I recognize a bat on your chest, but the color scheme is all wrong comment. And then, of course, we have a case of some splicers gone wrong with the dragon guy. So that's interesting. But I, I do agree, Dustin kind of brought this off. You know, the jackal started the whole book off, and, and I thought, okay, this is going to be about pirates, but another false advertisement of the cover unfortunately but i really enjoyed this issue minus the nigeria episode because i think it proves that batwing can continue on and have a good story because i think the question that many of us were having was after this massacre storyline after finding out about his brother and everything where where is this going to continue and can it continue and i think that this particular story showed that yes it can indeed continue I mean, there was investigating, which is great. Team-ups, a little shipping, and monsters. I mean, who could possibly want more? But, of course, Kia in the end. She kind of got gypped, so hopefully we find out about that. But I, I, I don't know. I really like this issue, and that just makes it all the more worse if it really is true that they're thinking about um, canceling it. But four out of five betterings. All right, so Batwing number 10 gets a total of three and a half out of five bad ranks. Let's move into our next issue, Detective Comics number 10. Don't let me find you out here again. We're trying to help you. I don't need help. Not my diagnosis. What gives you the right? What's the difference between you and me? I'm not wearing hockey pants. Detective Comics number 10, written by Tony Daniel with art by Ed Bennis. The issue opens with two Gotham City Trust workers transporting an important package when they are ambushed by four imposter Batman wielding guns. The Batman kill the driver the Batman kill the drivers and take the package. Meanwhile, across town, Bruce is visiting Charlotte in hospital. Charlotte begins to tell Bruce that she will be moving to Paris as she has an op- a job opportunity which she just can't turn down, but also needs to clear her head. As this is happening, however, Bruce hears the disturbance in the business district and rushes off to help. The GCPD are also on the scene. They take down one of the bats, but realize, it's, but realize that they escaped down a manhole. Down in the sewers, Batman begins to pick off the imposters one by one, but gets in a full-on fight before one of the imposters, before one of the imposters detonates a suicide bomb. The lead imposter begins to run, but is also beaten by Batman before he also explodes, just as Mr. Toxic turns up to take the stolen goods. At the GCPD HQ, Gordon and Bullock tell Batman the stolen item originated from Dunhill Laboratory and give him a flash drive. Batman then follows the clues to HM Industries in Wayne Tower, where he discovers Hugh Marder, the founder of HM Industries, inside a Hadron Collider. At that point, Mr. Toxic attacks Batman, to be continued. In the backup, which again I struggle to read, Two-Face wakes up in a room surrounded by the monk-looking characters from the end of the last issue they attempt to purify Harvey Dent and uh, when one of them is examining his mind he's shocked to see the good inside Harvey Dent opposed to what he was expecting to be pure bad but after spending an unknown time in this area which I think ends up being a few weeks 
the monk character realizes that he can't do anything for Harvey Dent and that his time there was pointless, even though he had started to feel a bit better about himself. So he's, he uh, lets him loose, saying, "You must fight your demons in your own way." Uh, we jump to Gotham's Edgware district, where Sterano from the last issue is talking to a character named Freak, Freak Show, saying how Harvey Dent has disappeared and that you know he's dead. Even if he's not, then no one's going to work with him again, and it's fine to take over his territory. When a woman enters the room, but and uh, the people in there are shocked about how she got through security, but. She says, what security? Just at that point, Two-Face kicks down the door with dual pistols to be continued. Alright, Detective Comics number 10. Um, let's start off with the main series. Uh, well, first I want to start off with the art, because I thought Ed Bennis' art was much better than Tony Daniels' art. I think he, because Ed Bennis isn't writing the series and doing the art for the series, he has he had plenty of time to actually get everything that he needed to get done done so it didn't look rushed this, is, this entire lead up to this character Mr. Toxic is I don't know I don't feel like one I care about the character number one number two I feel like Tony Daniels is just waiting to uh, what's the best way to say it? he wants to had us if, they, if you know what that means um, essentially he wants to like pretend like we didn't see something coming like, <laughs> oh, look at it, this is a giant reveal. But it's not. It's not a giant reveal, and it's not really that interesting. Um, Hugh Mulder, the guy who we saw originally in the first couple issues of Detective Comics, okay, so the entire point of having him in those first couple issues was so that he could pop up and be being killed or trapped in this in this new story arc. Okay, see, here's the thing. If you want to have <laughs> throwbacks to, you know, things that have happened in your previous story arcs, that's fine. But if you're throwing characters in your previous story arcs so that you can have your those characters appear in future story arcs, that's where you're wrong, and that's why this doesn't work. Do I give two craps about some random character that showed up in the last story arc? No. I don't, because he served no purpose, other than to be a character that Tony Daniel could say, oh, here, here's this character that I had in my other story arc. You remember him? Hey, you, you, yeah, you remember him, right? That That's not what I want. I don't want to read something and, and be basically being told, hey, guess what? I, I Here it is. Here's, my, here's the, the guy that was in that other issue. Now you get your answer of who this guy really is, or what he has to actually do with everything. Um, Charlotte Rivers, let's go <laughs> on her real quick. Um, what is the point? Exactly. What was the point of her other than to have her just have this sister who turns out to, you know, screw Penguin over at the end of the last story arc? Sex scene issue two. Again, what's the necessity of that? Exactly. We had this character... We had this character who, for some reason, you know, served little to no purpose other than just to be another female that Bruce Wayne is, you know, screwing on the side while he's still screwing Selena Kyle. Um, so, I mean, I just, I don't understand what the point of this character was. Just so that, Bat, or so that Bruce Wayne would have a tie to this Jill character that appeared in the story arc instead of you know batman just having to take down some villain he has to take down a villain that in his personal life he's dating that person's sister 
but that wasn't even executed very well because nobody really cared. No. So Charlotte Rivers goes to Paris. Oh well, who cares? Um, Hugh Motter is being is you know is being trapped by Mr. Toxic. Oh well, who cares? Um, Mr. Toxic, uh, you know, traps Batman with some kind of radiation zap or gun or whatever. Oh well, who cares? Because we know Batman's going to get out of it by the next issue. I mean, there's just no thought. There's no thought into this story, and that's my problem with this. Um, let's move to the backup. Holy crap! Um, someone just someone decide at DC to get rid of it. I thank you. Yes. Seisman Kudransky, I love his art, but honestly, the script for that for that it, it has to be the worst script ever because you cannot read the dialogue and then look at the art and understand what the heck's going on. Tony Daniel was probably the worst person in the world to team Seisman Kudransky with because his art is it tells a story by itself and and the thing is Tony Daniel has way too much words to put down on a paper to make it where the artist doesn't have a story to tell. There's no story because if you look at Tony Daniel's art and you compare it the the art style I should say. Tony Daniel writes his stories. Then he draws the art. His art in turn is just this snapshot of what's happening in his story. While Seisman Kudransky's art is actually you know a form of telling the story. It's not just a snapshot of what you what you're reading. It's it's like it's helping the story progress. It's giving more to the story than you would get if you were just reading the story. And this is the worst combination I've seen. And I feel bad for Seismic Kodransky because I loved his art on Penguin, Pain, and Prejudice. And I can't stand it in this because it is not helping the story, which is almost incomprehensible in the first place. So I'm going to give this... Uh, two out of five batarangs and that's only because the two artists on the books I, I actually like the art and that's pretty much it okay Dustin <laughs> you really need to stop uh, saying so many things that I'm, I'm agreeing with because it's going to make it for a very boring co- podcast I agree with Dustin um, just like when, when Joe was going over his recap and I was like remembering my thoughts when I was reading the issue I was like you know my main problem is that there's no thought and again if people, because you know, this is making money somehow. If, you know, people who are digging, um, people who are digging detective, you know, write in and please, please explain what you like so much about it because that's my main issue with so many, so many comics these days. It feels like there's no thought put into it. This is a very, very rote story. How many times in the past year have we seen people dressed up like Batman and commit crimes? There was a whole, detect- there was a whole story in Detective Comics about that, and it led to Gotham City imposters. There's a whole game about that. So we have we have Batman fakes running around. I mean, I think it's a cool idea. People, you know, criminals dressed as Batman, but we've seen it so often, so in such a short amount of time that it's like, okay, you really have not thought this through. If the, if the thought crosses his mind, he should have said, oh well, that's been done before. Let me see if I can check it up a bit. But no, it's just for no reason they're dressed like Batman. Charlotte Rivers, um, she just up and says, "Oh, Bruce, my boyfriend, all of an un- un- untold amount of time. I'm going to Paris. You cool with that? Like, really? Like it? it <laughs> she wants to be cousin of Betty Brand or something? Because what reasonable girlfriend, even if they're not even that serious, is just going to tell them, oh, 'I'm going to Paris.' You know, like out of nowhere. I, I'm, I meant to tell you, you know, while I was doing it, but I just decided, and I'm telling you now. Bye, Ed Benes as as 
insanely sexist as his artwork is, I actually do really like his artwork. And this particular issue, I thought the inking made it really, really scratchy. I still think it's it's more good than not good in this issue. I think, um, although I mean, I wouldn't say this. I mean, I actually think he makes it um, look a little more uh, versatile. So I'm kind, of, I'm kind of going back and forth on it. But I actually, at the end of the day, do like it. I'm not complaining that Mr. Toxic is back because it is a villain that we were introduced to before. I don't think that's that big of a deal, but like his plan was ridiculous. You know, let's use these hoodlums to dress up as Batman to steal something because it'll work. Uh, why? <laughs> um, I actually thought the backup was interesting too. You know, find the good side of Two Face, but who who cares to do this? <laughs> what criminal is going to spend money on a monk to to, to read Two Face's mind? What purpose does that serve? And uh, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of such. I, I like Seismic Kondrasi's art on some level. On another level, I think his anatomy can be kind of off. Like the last image of Two Face, he looks like a kid in a Two Face mask. Um, actually, I didn't like this as, as, as I didn't dislike this as much as Dustin did. But I still don't think this is very good. Two out of five batterings. I actually really like this issue. <laughs> yeah, of course. You bitch. Wow. <laughs> Um, I first of all, I thought the art was fantastic. Um, like I said, I'm I'm not really sure if Ben is uh, tries to or is inspired by the artist that he he works with, like like the books he's working on. Uh, whether he uh, sort of tries to copy the artist's style because it seemed that there were hints of Tony Daniel in this, just like there were hints of David Finch when he did The Dark Knight. That might just be. Um, that he's he's got a style kind of in the middle of those, but I I definitely really liked it. I thought, like I said, I thought the art was really strong. Um, I don't know, maybe there's no thought to it. I just thought that the the story is really fun. I actually really liked the the look back at um, Mr. Toxic because it wasn't like he was brought in as a hey look at this guy. It, he was just kind of there in the background, and I don't necessarily think that it was set up to be like a in this issue a big reveal I think it was more of a oh look it's that guy from before and it's nice to see Tony Daniel for once actually tying things together uh, I liked the scene with Charlotte in that you know I actually thought it was quite emotional and I, I thought it was well written I um, I agree that the, the fact that she's moving I'm not sure if that's just because she was only there for that one story arc just to make it have a bit more of an impact or if it's because like it just doesn't really work with Batman having a, a relationship just because of you know the amount of times that he's not there and all the titles it's just getting confused with admittedly not so much actually at the moment because a lot of them seem to have forgotten about <laughs> their separate partners but like I said I liked that scene and I thought Bruce was well written in it where he was you know there listening but he was also distracted by what's going on and um, I thought the action was really good I it was nice to see him doing some actual detective work I guess although it was, it was kind of handed to him to be honest by the GCPD but I always like seeing Bullock in the new 52 because he's he seems to get on with Batman a lot more than he used to and uh, um yeah, and I mean, obviously he's going to get out of the conflict with Mr. Toxic, but that that last uh, shot of him where you can kind of see his skeleton shining through, I thought that was a, a really good piece of art as well. As for the backup, it kind of all falls apart. I do really like the artwork, but 
kind of Tony Daniel. I think he's trying to fit a whole twenty-two page story into these like seven pages of the backup, or however many pages it is, and it's it just doesn't work. And also the dialogue is all this kind of pseudo gangster kind of Italian American thing, which you kind of expect in loads of bad gangster films, and it's it really doesn't work for me. And I just I think Two Face is being written really badly. And it was also just so pointless. But, I mean, it's nice to see uh, Sizing Kodansky's art because I, I do really enjoy it and I want I want him to get more work. But I think he's kind of got one of those styles where it doesn't work for every story. It's kind of got to be this, a, a slightly darker toned one. So I'm not sure maybe I'll get some work in one of the dark line of the DC New 52, hopefully in the future. But and I I... The main story I actually really enjoyed. Maybe it's just because it was a bit of fun and maybe it's just a comparison to Tony Daniel we've had so far, but I think he's getting stronger and I don't... There were a few bits of off-dialogue in it and he does tend to have Batman narrate a bit too much, but it wasn't overly done and it wasn't uh, bad when he did it. It was just a bit like, oh, that wasn't necessary, opposed to... Like, that was stupid. So, four out of five batterings for me. <laughs> um, I also actually enjoyed this issue. I thought that it was <laughs> better than what we've seen coming out of this particular comic in a while. Um, yikes. Charlotte's Rivers, yeah. Did you ever wonder what happened to her this entire time? We had, yeah, the sex scene and... The bad thing about this character, though, is that there was a lot of focus put on her because, as I had said in some of my Shipper articles, look at all of the things that Batman was willing to do for her. Like, he was breaking down emotionally when, you know, he th- the thought of her... Uh, being really hurt, he put tracers in his in her dress. He went to Colorado, which like just going away from Gotham seems very out of character for him. So it seemed like, wow, are they really pushing for this character for the long haul? But no, that does not happen. Um, I like the beginning, and you know, while the dress up as a crime fighter to make crime has been done before I, I i still think that it was a powerful opening you know it does sort of grab your attention and i probably haven't seen it as much as the seasoned veterans like donovan and dustin but it did grab me okay so let's t- go back to uh Charlotte R- rivers okay she is the one that's going to walk away from this Number one, you know, I guess we can say that it's clever because a woman does not usually walk away from Bruce, uh, especially if he's given his heart so openly. You know, it's normally him that uh, just his playboy uh, activities usually pushes them away or his nightlife. So it was, you know, a change. So that's, I guess, you know, clever. But number two... I think this just emphasizes the weak characterization of Bruce and Batman that we have in this particular book. You know, I want to see Bruce happy, but we all know that it's, you know, never going to happen in the end. And to see him hesitate slightly for a woman rather than going to do his duty tells me that he is uh, somewhat changing, maybe only in this book. Because, I mean, 
he he knows there's a ruckus going on and he hesitates and stays with her a little while but then then goes off you know is it for the better that she goes perhaps number three i see her reasoning leaving that is as as being weak and cowardly and about as weak and cowardly as barbara seniors when she said that she left for everyone else's safety because she was frightened of her son uh, you know, running away is not going to solve the issue, and she should probably maybe try to help her sister. I don't know. The Gotham cops in this book uh, are smarter than normal, you know, holding fire and seeing if Batman is the real deal first. I think time after time, we always see, especially in Spider-Man, I think it always happens that, you know, if there's a Spider-Man, hey, we're going to shoot at any Spider-Man that moves, basically. And I think that happens for uh, Batman as well. So it didn't hear. So uh, I applaud you, Gotham City Police Department. Derek Powers, uh, I mean Mr. Toxic, <laughs> it is an interesting character to be sure. Derek Powers, that's a little Batman Beyond little thing. What a scary panel with Batman's inner self glowing, but really awesome and that sort of leads into the art was just great i really enjoy that but you know besides the the charlotte river scene what unsettles me is that uh or besides the charlotte river scene unsettling me i think that this is probably one of the better if not the best detective issues that we've had so far i do however i mean i can kind of block it out from my mind i do still wonder what's going on with Joker and his faceless self and doll face and all those sorts of things. I don't know if um, the writer has all of a sudden forgotten about that. <laughs> We're never going to get back to it, but I guess if we'll just continue on this radioactive man uh, path, I guess I can enjoy it. I-, I give this the main story four out of five batterings. I I don't know. Like Joe, like Joe struggled to to give the plot summary of the backup and it's because it's it's a bad story. It's tough. You can't even really tell what's going on. I'm so unconvinced that it's even worthwhile. He's trying to find inner peace, find the good, but how does all of this come together? I don't know. So I, I'm not even going to rate that because I don't think it would be good. But four out of five for the the main story. All right. So Detective Comics. <clears throat> so Detective Comics number 10 gets a total of 3 out of 5 betterings. Let's move into our next issue, Batgirl number 10. Barbara! Hey, Babs! Batgirl number 10, all snug in their beds. Writer Gail Simone, penciler Aletha Martinez, inker Vicente Cifuentes, and colorist Ulysses Ariola. The issue begins with Batgirl in a parking garage in Level 4. Deba- oh, actually, in Cherry Hill. Thank you. Uh, the issue begins with Batgirl in a parking garage in Cherry Hill, debating whether there is a better way to handle street thugs than knocking the crap out of them. After beating up the potential carjackers and some sweet sports cars, she notices one get up and run, but loses track of him until she hears a blood-curdling scream. The scum with half a mohawk got his leg caught in a bear trap and conveniently located in a stairwell. Batgirl tries to talk him down and calls 911 when a buff woman, Donovan Morgan Grant with a white afro, (laughs) and an Asian woman, all dressed in evening wear, arrive. They tell Batgirl that they are the official security detail for that evening's event, that rival gangs set the bear traps at exits, and that they will take care of Ricky, and Batgirl must leave since she is trespassing. Batgirl leaves all the while threatening that they better take care of him or else she'll come back. 
Meanwhile, Cherise Carnes is dedicating the Three Towers Business Center in the Cherry Hill District in honor of her parents and brother. Rest in peace. Step one in giving Cherry Hill hope again is the Three Towers Army. Chapter 1, Volunteering, Cleaning Graffiti, Building Gardens, and Building Playgrounds. Back with Batgirl, Babs thinks about Ricky and how she could have better handled the situation and that it deeply affected her. She believes she messed up and should have stayed. Back at the dedication, Lois Lane accosts Charisse, accusing her of murdering her own family and escaping judgment. The three bodyguards we encountered earlier get rid of Lane, but not in a hostile way, and we learn more of Carnes' story, 16, scared, and sitting in her family's blood. This brings tears to the eyes of her buff entourage, but then we see Cherise draw back the curtain on a naked man with eyes showed, sewed shut and tick marks over his body, asking her to kill him. Not yet, not for many weeks to come, perhaps not ever. Babs gets a call from Alicia to get her out of jail. She was arrested at an Occupy Gotham demonstration. Everyone was arrested but let go except for her because she made some poorly chosen comments about the police sergeant's mother. At a diner, gee, is that the same diner that Babs met Babs Sr.? The two debate the best way to make Gotham into a cleaner, safer tomorrow. Is it Bruce Wayne and his urban renewal or is it Cherise Carnes and her community army? This is a fair question, and instead of fighting for things, Babs decides to fight for people, so she returns to find out about Ricky. She finds him, sans one leg, held over the ledge of a roof by a member of, bum 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 bum, the disgraced. They want Batgirl to join them, but she must take a test, which happens to be letting Ricky fall to his death from the roof. Batgirl fails the test with flying colors and is attacked on the way to catching Ricky by the Asian member, now sporting wings. Babs does some smart maneuvering and throws the bat line around the winged girl, attaches it to her belt, and then attaches the other end to a building. Batgirl warns her not to take flight, but she does, and Batgirl takes advantage of her surprise. We find out her name is Catharsis, and nightfall has risen. The Gotham we know is dead, and Gotham crime is dead, and so is Batgirl. The issue ends with Batgirl surrounded by disgraced, and with a dark shadowy figure descending. Next, nightfall is coming. Alright, Batgirl number 10. This was kind of interesting um, because we're, we're, instead of just being thrown a new villain, this Nightfall or a group of villains in Nightfall, mm-hmm. we're actually kind of learning about the uh, learning about them. Even if we're not learning directly about them, because I'm sure they have something to do with this character who, when she was 16 years old, was in a pool of her family's blood. And even though she was proven innocent in the courts... The fact that she's got a guy with his eyes sewn up, chained naked in a cage in her building makes it seem like there's a little bit more to it than than you would think. Um, the bear trap situation, that was the only thing that I was kind of iffy about because I'm not real sure why Barbara would have left in the first place. Why would she have believed that there was three people um, dressed in fancy clothes saying, Oh yes, we're the security. I don't know, but most security don't wear fancy clothes like all of the guests. So <laughs> I, my, my immediate reaction when I saw that was, why would this person be here if... Why would this person have anything to do with security? I automatically thought, this pers- these people, ha- you know, they're, they're like weird bridge people and they're like doing some like weird, you know, torture stuff because that's how they get off. But, I mean, to me, it was just odd... 
in the first place that uh, that those people showed up. But then it was more odd how Barbara was just going on and on about how she felt so bad for the guy and, you know, she was feeling bad. Yes, okay, ultimately, yes, it's a horrible thing that this guy got stuck in a bear trap and there's nothing that she can really do about it. Two things. Why did she pick up a cell phone and call the and call nine one one? Wouldn't she? Why wouldn't she have something in her you know through her communications through her cowl? Oh, that's a good point. Who who carries a cell phone on? <laughs> that, that that who who is that is not a superhero, uh, or who who that is a superhero has a cell phone? Yeah. So that was kind of odd. Um, the the other thing that was a little odd was. Um, you know, the fact that she she gave up... She, I mean, she put up a little bit of resistance, but ultimately she was just like, okay, well, you better you better help him, because if not, I know where you are. And then she takes off, and the entire time she's, like, shouting back at them as she's, you know, swinging away on the bat line. Yeah. You should have never left the guy in the first place. Why would you leave that guy there? Exactly. And... You know, she made the point to say, oh, well, I'll t- okay, you guys want to talk to me about trespassing, that's fine. You trespass all over Gotham City. Why is it any different that you're trespassing in a place where there's, you know, crime happening? Why wasn't the security people in the first place doing anything about what was going on? Why didn't she take a clue when the security people said, oh, yeah, we were watching you on the camera. You did a pretty good job. So the security people were watching a crime being committed and didn't do a thing about it and just let Batgirl take it. But then when Batgirl is done, you know, stopping the crime, they have no problem coming out and saying, oh, we'll take care of the guy bleeding to death. There's just too many problems with that. And I thought she was smarter than that. Clearly she's not. <laughs> um, the other thing that was kind of odd was, maybe I'm I'm a little bit lost, but because it's been a couple months since that story, but... I need someone to refresh my memory with what exactly what exactly happened with Alicia in the the last time we saw her. She wasn't killed because, for some reason. Yeah, yeah, I thought she was. I thought she was being. She she was with James Gordon. Jr. Yeah, they went to go get yeah. coffee, and then this. so he doesn't kill her, and then somehow yep. two months later she's in jail mm-hmm. because she was in an occupied Gotham. And, and, and everything you're yep. saying is not a joke. Yeah. No. So yeah. I. I don't really understand what happened there because, quite honestly, the, I thought the whole point was, you know, oh, she's been, like, there was this big buildup, too. Oh, she's been missing for two days and I haven't heard from her and, oh, this and, oh, that, and she's not picking up her phone. And then she randomly gets a phone call that says, oh, I'm in jail. I need you to come bail yeah. me out. What was the whole point of having James Gordon Jr., you know what was the whole point of that? If it, you're just going to leave it hanging, I, I for guess it's probably a whole other three st- three issues until a new story arc comes. Along. I guess that's there for people who actually care about the characters, so that like they'd see that and then be like, oh no, she's been killed. And then in here, it's like, oh thank goodness she was only in jail. So you know, I think that's I think that's where the disconnect is because we don't really care. It's a very big disconnect. Anyway, anyway the 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 final battle. I thought I thought it was actually a pretty decent battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was kind of smart how she tied the bat line onto the one the the one chick with the wings, and then used the advantage of pulling her back down to give her a you know a nice uppercut. Mm-hmm. It was smart. Um, I also thought 
I also think it's it's interesting to have multiple villains at once because, quite honestly, there hasn't really been a whole lot of villains that Batgirl has been facing where it's, oh my god, this villain is so great, this is my ultimate match, because they're all really crappy villains. And I'm sure there's a bunch of really crappy villains in this group that's called Nightfall, but at least it'll at least the combination of all of them together will give her some sort of uh, uh, you know some sort of trouble, I guess. I don't know. She's had trouble that. with every villain that she's <laughs> yeah. come up against so far. No, she's had every trouble, but still, it only takes three issues for her to completely subdue the that villain true, and yes. just move on. So nothing really that big. Although it'll only be three issues for you know whatever these five villains, but. I digress. Um, I don't think it was a horrible issue. I think it's been. I think it is better than some of the the previous things. Uh, well, actually, it's it was a lot better than a lot of the previous issues, besides the last month's Night of Owls crossover. Um, so I'm going to give this three out of five batterings. I'm actually kind of going back and forth on this issue. Um, when I first read it, I actually thought, you know, this actually was pretty decent. And uh, we're kind of rewritten again. I see a lot of issues that I think I may have thought when I was first reading it, but eventually forgot about. So I, I'm, like, very, very, like, like there's two extremes going on this thing. I'll start with the good, because I've just been whining about non-important issues for the last hour. Um, and I want to be positive. Like, I do like that Batgirl is wondering, as she's fighting some crooks, how effective she is, and what she does as a crime fighter. Because I, I, I think that's, very, that's a very reasonable thing to think of. I mean, not necessarily... You know, do heroes think they're jerks? Not that that was stupid, but like I like her thinking, what good are we really doing? Can we do more than just beat people up? Because I mean, that's sort of a Superman thing to think about. But really, if you're a crime fighter, you're not going to become a crime fighter just so you can punch people and you know and stay up like in the middle of the night. That's not really why you're in the game. You know, you're, you're a crime fighter ideally because you want to have positive influence. And I think somebody like Barbara Gordon would want to make positive influence. In all of its forms, not just fighting a bunch of you know wannabe wannabe gangster thugs in a in a parking garage, and saying bad quips like you you escalated, which don't really mean anything. So I, I like the essential crux of the story, like you know what can I do to really help people. I I, I thought that was very nice and very welcome in the title, because all it's, uh, all it's been is just horrible violence. On the other hand, uh, on, on speaking of violence, on the other hand, this is one of those examples of like where I think comics have just. Or maybe just, just, just DC Comics, or maybe just Gail Simone in general, because there was a lot of, like, really, really, really extreme violence in here that I think is just... I'm not somebody who is shy about violence, but when you use it over and over again, it loses its power in telling a story. And I'm not really referring to the bear trap, because I just thought that they looked appropriately nasty. But the whole part about um, the uh, Charisse woman... And about, you know, like, oh, she's this big benefactor who wants to help Gotham. And, like, how dare you question her life? Don't you know? She, you know, she was 16, and she sat on her parents' blood and her the blood of her baby brother and with this very, you know, nondescript look on her face. And it's like, are you really, are we really doing this again? Are we really having this sort of story where these people are, like, horribly traumatized and, like, the worst things imaginable happened to them in their past? And it's like it's and it's fleeting, you know. It's 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 just it's mentioned in one panel, you know. It's not leaned upon, and all these like and, and you know, there's a naked guy with his eyes sewn shut, locked in a cage, and like 
you could be saying, "Oh, I'm setting up a story," but honestly, to me, it just seems like you're 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 trying too hard to make it effective. So you're just making these these horrible things happen, and there's no real there's no real human emotion in them. It feels flat. It feels it feels forced, and it's a lot like when Joe was talking about uh, Batman Annual One, where the guy just <laughs> the guy where Mister Freeze threw his mom in like the ice for like essentially no reason, although we debated what the reason was. I mean. This has been happening in Batman comics for a long time now, and I feel that it's just a crux of writing to where it doesn't. It feels it. It feels like it's bad writing to me. And I mean, do you do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, it, it, it doesn't feel natural in the story. They could they could have been having anything else, but it's just this this like like uh, hostile or you know Saul kind of stuff where this crazy crazy stuff happens, but no one's ever heard about it. Or no one ever really talks about it. You just mention it, and like you know, that's supposed to that's supposed to establish a character. That's supposed to explain a character's motivations. But because it's it's just mentioned in one sentence, I don't feel anything from it, and it just feels hollow and cheap. So that really did bother me. Uh, plus, the the, the 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 name of the group, the disgraced, was a joke. That was actually the, like a, even a bigger flub for me. Um, I thought the art was a bit consistent or inconsistent. I thought the faces were kind of weak. Um, who was the inker on this? Because I think the inker picked up the pace. Uh, I thought the penciler, uh, uh, Alita Martinez, was kind of lacking, but uh, Vicente Sufuentes did make it make it feel con- more consistent uh, with the inks. So it kind of it, it held together in the end. Although I, I did think it wasn't as good as it usually is. Um, I generally liked the plot, but going over like the little the little uh, things here and there in between. I didn't. <laughs> I, I had some problems with it, so I'll give it a middle of the road two and a, two and a half out of five batterings. I think we'll have to hold off on because you bring up a lot of good points. Uh, I think we'll have to hold off on judgment on this particular character until the next issue because she seems slightly different than Gretel. I totally get what you're saying about like they have this violent past and that somehow it made them who they are, and that happened to Gretel. And I think that character origin was done very poorly, and so perhaps Simone has learn from that mistake and we will see and maybe if this does encompass a larger arc we can sort of delve into this Cherise Carnes I uh, I agree with you I mean it is the first appearance of this character we don't know much about her but I mean you know I mean just to kind of like reiterate my argument um, it's like we had the guy who lost his, who watched his family melt in front of him we had a, a woman who was shot in the face and you know oh by the way her, pa- her parents didn't care um, you know we had a, a guy whacked on the head uh, and somehow it killed him. It's like we're having this really, really, really hardcore violence. Just mention in passing, and it's like, you know, it's supposed to explain these characters, but they're not. And you know, they're advertised as being you know big heavy hitters, but I don't think any of us really care about them because we're not given enough uh, uh, panel time to really uh, feel bad for them. We're just kind of told this happens, and you kind of just move on from there. And I find that very disingenuous of storytelling. But I've, I've, I've said way too much. Uh, I both get and kind of disagree with Don, but I mean, I also agree just in terms of the violence I'm talking about. Um, I I don't mind the the use of violence. I don't don't mind gore. I mean, sometimes it's a bit off in a Batman comic where you know it's a it's a you're supposed to use alternate methods to killing, and I guess that kind of extends to just maiming someone. But um, I, yeah, I don't mind gore or blood and violence uh, even you know in comics film or anything but 
I kind of get where Don is coming from, and it's I think in the context it's used, it's really poor. Uh, I don't think it's it's got to the point where it's it makes anything ineffective because I mean there was enough violence in Scott Snyder's Detective Comics, and we were still shocked by the panel where James Gordon Jr. goes down the stairs and we see the guy with like no limbs oh. and no bottom jaw. So I think it also comes down to the way it's written and then I guess that's also what Don was saying about how it's just kind of mentioned in passing but also the fact how it's just oh yeah this tragic thing happened to someone when they were younger and it seems that either Batman finds you and you become a superhero or you just turn into a supervillain for some reason and I think that's what I'm finding in this book is I just think it's really sort of cliche and it's just kind of the same thing happening over and over again and not I mean there's obviously the rest of the story out to go, but we're kind of getting hints of it already in that basically every villain, it, Barbara Gordon's can't beat them physically, so she finds out their origin, finds out they have a tragic past, brings it up to them, and then they just break down and cry, and then she's like, all right, I want that one. I mean, it happened with Mirror, happened with uh, Gretel, even happened with the Talon. So, like, I'm getting really bored of it now, and... Hopefully it's going to bring a change with this issue, but or with this story arc, sorry, but I don't know. Uh, the art was, as usual, very inconsistent, but overall I'd say I like it. Two out of five batterings. I think in in all of this that um, has been coming up, there are certainly like two really good discussion points that are being brought up. One is, what is sort of violence? Like, what is more impactful is it the visual violence that you see on the page because in my opinion this wasn't as violent as say like his leg in a bear trap yeah you kind of it was it was all jacked up but that wasn't as violent as the opening uh double page um <laughs> what are those called splash, splash in 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 birds of prey number 9 where I mean, you saw that the owl kind of went for all of these bad guys in 1842, and, I mean, their entrails are, like, falling out onto the street. Like, that was visually violent. Or is violence more unsettling and more impactful when it's coming out of a character's mouth, and if it is just sort of, like, hopped on and then hopped off? So that's one discussion that I think is pretty interesting. The other one is sort of what makes a villain and what makes a good villain. Because I, I completely, you know, you guys are really tying it together that, yes, in fact, all of these people that we've seen, with the exception, I think, of, um, not Massacre, what was his name? <laughs> the one grotesque. I want to forget. Thank you. Yes, Grotesque. We don't really, we didn't really know much about him at all, which is really vexing because, gee, is he a metahuman or not? Is a good villain or a villain at all, does he just do bad things? Is there a reason why this person's doing a bad thing? Does Simone feel the need to have a really deep character and that's why she's having these backstories? She wants to make them remembered for people and so what's the best way to do that? Oh, well, if you see their backstory, maybe that's what's going on. But I think that's those are two things that are really great to, to talk about. But I, I'm going to get off that point. My main problem with this issue really is the internal dialogue of Batgirl and I've just been my <laughs> myself has been fighting this the entire time a and the layout of the issue those are my two big problems. So number one the dialogue just does not sit well with me. You know Batgirl is 
like that one time she asked about, or she opened up with the Titanic. Now she's opening up whether heroes think while they're beating somebody down, if they think that, hey, am I a jerk for beating this person down? Frankly, I don't think that when they're doing their job and rescuing someone or preventing somebody's death, they're thinking that they're a bad person for doing that. I think you're just going to do your job and not worry about it. The fact that she's thinking about stuff while she's doing it, makes me a little concerned because maybe you should focus on what's going on. Number two, I don't like that the issue goes back and forth between Sharice and Babs, especially when the main page will be about Sharice, like the full page, and then we'll have this one small panel that forces itself through to tell us one small thing about Babs. Babs walks through the front door, and there's a little square panel to show Babs going into her apartment. That's, it's like a little too much like back and forth. Let's focus on one thing, and then and if you can, transition to Babs and have more of a fuller story there and then go back, not have one breaking through the other. I actually really liked the narration, thank you, Simone, on Charisse's part. Yes, she says she was scared and watched the knife cut into her family's skin, but it is really ambiguous whether someone else was doing it or whether she was doing it. It's very, like, it, it is well done. I don't know if maybe I'm looking too much into that, but if that is the point and how we're going to see, thank you very much, Gail Simone. So this is obviously not a stable character. I hope that, you know, we do have a longer time to look at her and more is revealed and maybe she's actually a good villain and I think in that Josh uh, Bertoni interview with Gail Simone, it really seems like um, she's excited about this particular storyline and so where I don't know about the other ones but hopefully then we can focus on this and she can really kind of <laughs> make it flow nicely and have us actually care about this I like the debate between Elysia and Babs at the diner you know there are clearly they are clearly coming at it the issue from two different perspectives but it does I think raise some big issues that really happen in the real world and I like this quote from Alicia how has having saviors from above worked out for us so far and I think this just speaks on two different levels and that's why I loved it you know it's not only of Bruce Wayne and sort of his wealth and his position and being above everyone else but it's also talking about the Bat family too you know how has Batman how is Superman how is Batgirl how has that helped everyone or has that caused even more mania and panic I've wondered uh, about Batgirl's comment about no longer fighting for things but for people and I mean I always thought that the main point is to fight for Gotham because in saving Gotham you save its citizens so I sort of think that this statement was a bit over dramatic and unnecessary I mean I think you should know by now why you are doing what you are doing the Elysia, I won't really touch upon that. Totally 100% agree with Dustin. I hate off-panel land. I want it to be burned. <laughs> the Disgraced. Okay, number one, how can Babs tell they are vigilantes? I mean, that's the first thing she flies. And she says, oh, no, vigilantes are vigilantes? How can you tell from just seeing them holding someone over a roof? I don't know. Why would they put a bear trap in the exit? Is that... I mean, is it like a mousetrap, really? They're trying to lure people into the exit there. I do have to say this batch of villains makes a better entrance than the previous villains we've encountered uh, in this book. And, you know, it's also really the physical form of the debate that Babs and Elysia started. You know, which way is better if both have the same goal in mind? Is Batgirl's way better or the, the disgraced way, which is also basically the Red Hood way? Uh, Ricky, I don't know. There's... 
look at how much emphasis was put on Ricky as a character, and then all of a sudden he hobbles off the page through the the couple's bedroom, which was so random. I'm just going to leave now, and that was the end. Strangest character exit ever. Again, we see Batgirl getting a little too emotionally invested. Didn't she learn that it's she shouldn't do that because she'll get a little out of control or she's blinded and does things that um, maybe she shouldn't do? But, hey, I guess she was taken by this one car thief. But, you know, is he something special? Because Batgirl does say that either he was on something or stronger than he looks since he walked away from, like, her kick to his face. But, you know, I guess this, like other comments that are made in previous issues, like all the stuff with Gretel, may have been forgotten by Simone there. But, you know, this issue, there are many leaps, either in plot or in comments or in some bad decisions that were made. But first I started off not liking it, but then once I actually started plotting it, I was like actually this is better than what we've seen, and I 100% think that it is better than like the grotesque which was really the bottom of the gully for me I give this oh, and the art I actually thought, I will disagree with Joe here I, I thought that the art was more consistent in this issue, but perhaps that's we didn't see Barbara Gordon Sr., so maybe that's why but uh, I give this issue 3 out of 5 betterings Alright, so Batgirl number 10 gets a total of two and a half out of five Batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Batman and Robin number 10. The pain of my parents' deaths, it's still there, but it seems smaller. And there's a new feeling now. Which would be? It's a, a lightness, a sense that things will work out for the best. It's called happiness. Whatever it is, I like it. War of the Robins, Batman and Robin, issue 10, written by Peter Tomasi, illustrated by Patrick Gleason. This issue starts off where we see a bunch of really disfigured uh, crooks talking about how much they dislike Batman because he beat them up badly and um, threw them in jail. So he, uh, the leader of this discussion, um, a man who calls himself Terminus, says, How will you leave your mark on the Batman? My name is Terminus. Terminus. And what I get is the pleasure of simply watching Batman die in my hands just before I die myself. Mwah! Ha! 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 Cut to Wayne Manor, where we see Batman, Alfred, and the uh, three main good guy Robins, being uh, Richard Dick Grayson, Timothy Tim Drake, and Damian uh, Wayne, uh, all taking a, a family portrait. Um, when uh, Bruce and the guy who's taking the portrait can, are disagreeing on the certain pose. They suggest to take a break, and all throughout the while, Tim and Damien are sniping at each other like brothers do. Um, it gets to the point where Bruce uh, he says, hey, knock it off you two before you're grounded. And um, they both walk away in a huff, where Dick and Bruce say, ha ha ha, those darn kids. Uh, cut back to Terminus, where he is injecting himself with some sort of uh, combination of protoplasmic and marrow infusion for a Full body penetration to presumably give him some sort of armor or uh, or help his affliction, which where his skin is bubbling uh, like acid and um, sort of like hot coal before it's cooled. Uh, we then cut to the middle of the night and uh, a rainy night in Gotham City, where we see the Red Hood being accosted by Nightwing, and soon enough, Red Robin shows up, and they're all like, "Who called you? I, I thought you guys called me." And it turns out that that Robin. Uh, brought everybody there, the former Robins, that says, hey everybody, I just wanted to tell you that I'm going to attack you. <laughs> um, and he's basically going to try to uh, one-up them on 
each of their specialties so he can prove to himself and to them and to Batman that he is the best Robin. Look at um, Cut back to the Batcave where Batman and Alfred are saying that Batman kept it kept it from Tim and Dick that Damien killed nobody and he told Damien that they would handle themselves uh, and then the bat, bat signal uh, shines. Later in the Batcave, we see uh, Tim arrive and Damien swirl on the chair, chair. Tim again, say it again. Later in the Batcave, we see Tim arrive and Damien swirls around in the chair saying, we meet again, Mr. Bond. He says that he's uh, figured out why Tim is so angry at him because he puts off blame he has on tendencies of nearly killing and attacks Damien for it, uh, which is what Tim exactly does, attacking Damien for that. And um, for the millionth time, someone smashes into the Jason Todd Robin case. Um, so Damien's, uh, so Tim says, you know, like, what, was, what was this whole point? To, for me to feel sorry for you, to empathize with you? Um, and Damien's like, no, this is the whole point is for you to accept me as a Wayne and a Robin. So Tim rushes off in, in his uh, Robin cycle. And we end the issue with Terminus uh, being made ready to attack Batman uh, with a gigantic and phallic <laughs> rocket ship. Next issue, Terminus Maximus. Batman and Robin number 10. I actually, I really like this issue. Um, the, the whole, all of the villains in the beginning, it wasn't so much that Batman beat them up and put them in jail, it's that they all have something uniquely wrong with them physically because of them breaking the law and Batman being there to stop them from breaking the law. With the guy with the bad ring stuck in his head who now has Tourette's. <laughs> Um, you have the you have a guy who clearly I mean they showed some of the people on how how it happened they have and the best part was the guy with the batarang who has Tourette's he actually threw the batarang and it did exactly what it's supposed to do it came right back and hit him in the head um, and then they have the guy who you know his skin was burnt and it's interesting that being said I f- have this feeling that this is just like some it's not a slow build-up to something that's coming. I think it's it's really just the background of something else happening while this War of the Robins is happening. And I gotta say, War of the Robins, this is actually quite interesting. The setup, not so great. I don't really think the best idea in the world was to have Damien have all the Robins meet him on the rooftop and say, by the way, I'm just going to, I'm just letting you all know, I'm putting you on notice, I'm going to attack you all some way, and then I'm going to steal something and hang it on my wall in my bedroom. The thing is, that, that I don't know that that was necessarily the best way to go about doing that, but at the same time, I think it was, I think it's going to be interesting to see Damien try to outdo all of the Robins. The other thing I have to say is, as far as the art goes, I thought the way Jason Todd was drawn as the Red Hood looked great. I want to see more of that. I don't. I want to see less of what we see in of him in a lot of the other books. I like Kenneth and, Kenneth Rockford and Red Hood and the Outlaws, but I really like the way that Patrick Gleason drew Red Hood with, especially with the mask. Instead of it just being like this dome or you know straight smooth thing, it was more like jagged, like it had, you know, it had creases in it and stuff like that. That looked cool. It looked really cool. Anyway, back to the story. The whole thing at the end where it kind of included some of the stuff of of the events that happened in Teen Titans Annual Number One, which I read that series, so it was cool to see references to that happening in the Bat books. Um, and it's also interesting to see. Well, I mean, quite honestly, I think this is the first time we've actually had Tim Drake in more than just a panel or a couple pages 
since the New 52 started within the Bat books, so it's good to see Tim Drake in the book. Um, but I think, you know, the whole, you know, bickering back and forth between Damien and Tim Drake, it's expected because Tim Drake was kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, usurped from his role as Robin because Damien was just kind of thrown at the Bat family. And it's it makes perfect sense of why that happens. Overall, I think this was a great issue. I'm looking forward to see what else is going to happen. I can't wait to see Damien versus Jason Todd. Um, the Terminus Maximus thing, uh, we'll see what happens. I don't really understand what's going on, but I don't really think we're supposed to understand what's going on at this point. So I'm going to give this four out of five batterings. Um, I <laughs> um, I kind of come on... I don't want to say two minds this this issue because... You know, at the end of the day, I do like this issue, uh, and I like what they're trying to do. Um, you know, I, I, I really like Robin as a concept, as a character, despite what pop culture tries to tell me. So the idea of like bringing all of them together is definitely interesting. I, I'm on board for that. Um, the book lost me when Damien and Tim got in a, into another fight in the Batcave. Okay, uh, let's, let's let's go back a bit. Like I like I like the art. Um, by and large, I'm actually getting a little tired of Patrick Leeson. There are some moments where he's really good, like uh, in the scene where, in the rain, there were some really fun facial expressions. Uh, like, um, like Tim's facial expression after Damien says that he's going to attack them, he's like, what? Yeah. And uh, when Damien's like really cocky expression, he's like, yeah, to you, to him, to me. He's like, yeah, I, I know I'm hot. So it's, it's, I thought it was kind of funny. Um, and I like the general... Uh, uh, characterizations of Dick, Bruce, and Alfred. Because they kind of like, they're like, uh, whatever, Damien and Tim are fighting. You know, we've been here before. Like, they kind of just take it in stride, not really caring as much. Um, but Peter Tomasi really, really, really loves his back characters angry. Because this entire book is, is turning into like this big hate fest. And I understand where it comes from because these are extreme characters with extreme personalities. I really do understand that. But because we're getting them such close sequence, like the violence... Um, it kind of it kind of becomes uh, um, um, it's it's kind of I don't want to say it's hard to read, but it kind of becomes uh, taxing on the mind sometimes. And I think I would have liked this a bit better than I do if Damien and Tim didn't actually fight because they literally fought like three times already. And it's like if they could have just, if they were started yelling at each other or just started sniping or whatever, it would have been fine. But what we have here is Jason saying. Well, plot, plot contrivance uh, showed me this this uh, image of you nearly killing this guy in the Teen Titans annual that Donovan didn't read, and then Tim just reacts by attacking him. Like this isn't Marvel Comics where these characters are are stupid. It's like they they don't he 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 attacks a ten year old boy. Well, admittedly, it's Robin, but he attacked a kid because he just showed him something that happened. It's like you're basically implying that Tim has like mental problems, and I do not like that at all. I mean, we kind of left the Red Robin series. And where Tim was in a, in a bit of a bind with where his morals were, but that was so that was bad. I just I just wish they would would actually start fighting. I mean, I like everything else around the the issue at the end of the day, but that really did kind of lose me. So, what would have been a whole point higher kind of goes down a grade, and I would give this a three and a half out of five batterings. I'm also not sure how I feel about this book. I th- I think it's another it's one of those things where I see it as a bit of a wasted opportunity or at least I, I think the premise is really cool but I don't like the way the characters are written I think that they're like Don said they're being they're written really angrily and I, I just don't enjoy reading that kind of that bickering between the family members and I, I feel like 
it's been done so often and I keep feeling like we've got past it and then we haven't again and then like Tim Drake is being an absolute Grayson in this because because <laughs> <laughs> I mean why is he taunting like Damien saying like oh you kill someone as if it's like some like thing you can just sort of shrug off and be like like just to get to someone where it's like that's I don't know I mean it's I don't really don't like the way it's written I think that they're all they're just really sort of everywhere all of them are like arrogant and cocky and like there's no like affection for each other where I think there should be and I mean admittedly they're all like kind of they're not the same family biologically and stuff they're all kind of brought together through Batman and stuff but they're all brought together through tragedy and stuff as well and I mean there's bound to be some rivalry I guess but it's like it's getting used to the universe and then like who likes who in it because I mean Red Hood's supposed to like Tim Drake a lot in this and he's not he's supposed to hate Dick Grayson but in this you know he's just like shut up Nightwing and like that was a funny line but it's it's out of character I think and I mean I, I just feel that Damien doesn't really need to prove it I mean he's the actual Robin at the moment I don't know why Red Hood is still in Gotham I mean you know, oh, I don't know. shouldn't he be in the galaxy with Starfire just commanding a ship <laughs> <laughs> The most feared uh, uh, pirate in the galaxy, or whatever, some stuff. Whatever is the next month. <laughs> uh, I don't really like the. Uh, like I said, I mean, I I've said how I prefer the smaller panels because there's, whilst they're quite cartoony, they're uh, they're not as exaggerated. Although I do really like the panel of Damien sitting there cross-legged on the chair. I thought that was a pretty cool panel, but just I mean, there's it, continuity things in here as well. Just with the, like, I mean, I, I think that annoy me the most about the issue I think is the reference to Otto Nets because it once again takes away I think from the emotion that that, that had in the Leviathan Strikes one shot where I mean I think if I remember he was even in tears when he uh, did it and you know he was saying like father sorry I had to do it or he would kill you and then in this it's just played off as if like oh yeah you killed another person like that and it's mm-hmm. I think it takes away from the emotion of that and it like upsets me a bit I guess and then like, it's it's made out as if Tim and Damien have never fought before, when in reality, you know, like, he absolutely beat Tim's ass to the point where he's nearly dead, and but then it's also referenced later on, so I don't know what's going on with this. The, the kind of, I guess, almost subplot of Terminus, I'm not sure which one is the subplot, because they both seem to be things which are going to be ongoing throughout. I think, like I said, I think it was an interesting premise, and I I thought it was going to turn into something really great when uh, Damien said, you know, I was thinking about a game of chess. And I'm not sure if he was being serious or if that was him uh, joking and, you know, before they actually did fight or if that was Tim initiating the fight when Damien was genuinely, you know, wanted to, like, beat him. Because he said he wants to beat him at something they feel confident in. And Tim is meant to be, like, one of the most intellectual Robins and he's meant to be the great detective. So beating him at an intellectual game, I think, would have been a much more powerful thing and it would have been more interesting to read or at least character wise I mean literally watching a game of chess I'm sure would be pretty boring but I, I think like I said it's just I feel a bit of a wasted opportunity maybe it's going to turn into something better but at the moment I don't really have high hopes for this especially compared to what I did so 2 out of 5 batterings 
Okay, starting right off with the cover, I know sometimes we don't really talk about the covers, but in this case, I really loved it, you know, with all the Robins together, minus Stephanie. Uh, it was just, it was great to see those. I liked in the beginning, you know, seeing just as, as Dustin was uh, narrating through the different creeps and how they got that way in the background. That was great. Oh boy, another reference to auto nets. Uh, yeah, and, and my issue is that apparel. I don't know. I just don't like the fact that um, the nobody auto nets, like the timeline is very strange, and that's sort of what rubs me the wrong way. And and I just cannot believe that after everything Bruce and Damien went through and discussed, that Damien would kill again. So I I choose to ignore it. I love the antics of the portrait scene. It was so dysfunctional, but so fun, and I'm glad that Titus got brought in. That was great. The fact that Damien gets all of the Robins together to tell them he's going to defeat them makes me laugh. I mean, this is this is him, you know, and this is exactly sort of what he did to Stephanie. It's like a very trial-by-fire, like, prove-yourself sort of thing. And if Steph were here right now, she probably would have been there to say, you need to calm down short stuff. But she is not, unfortunately. But I do love all the priceless faces left. Whoa? You know, on there. I, I love that. Uh, part of me wondered, though, whether, because you know how Damien says, I'm going to take something <laughs> personal from you? I thought, oh dear, is Damien going to take Babs' hair away from Dick? <laughs> oh, Tim Drake. Yeah, you get it? Okay, there we go. Tim Drake is finally going to lose his virginity. Oh, I didn't mean that. Anyway, okay. Let's let's please guide. Okay, I enjoyed the conversation between Bruce and Alfred about trust and whether others should be notified about Damien killing nobody. Damien's attack on Tim really highlighted to me why this is not the Tim Drake we all know and love. In my in my opinion, um, it's just a different character. What was great about this issue is that, you know, you expect Damien to physically attack each of them, but it's clear that he's just going to look to knock them down wherever they are weakest. And in this case, it's sort of an emotional attack on, on Tim. And intertwined with the story is Terminus. And, you know, it's really unclear what we're supposed to think of him, and, and it's somewhat difficult to follow what's going on, which, you know, Dustin said maybe that's the point right now. But, you know, what's with the clock that kind of appeared out of his arm i'm not sure does that show when he's going to break down because obviously his he can't keep himself together like a clay face sort of guy why the focus on him and not the creeps that we see at the beginning and you know let's just hope that more time is spent on him in the next issue but i loved it i thought it was great it was zanny you know it was like better than a half an hour episode of happily divorced i give this 4.5 out of five batterings all right, so Batman and Robin number 10 gets a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our last title, Batman number 10. I don't need help. Thanks, Alfred. I work alone. Thanks, Dick. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks, Tim. I'm not a team player. Thanks, Justice League. Written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. The issue starts off with a little bit of a history of a penthouse on top of the Powers Hotel, and the two people who live there are the... Uh, Joseph Powers and his wife Maria and they live there it's the most expensive residence in Gotham City costing about 58 million dollars as she gets there we get a little bit of back history about how nobody ever goes into the penthouse unless they're paid by them and uh, so forth and so on we see Maria come to the uh, the house only to find it ransacked and she is locked inside of an elevator by Batman 
Batman questions where her husband is, and Batman goes to find out exactly where she's at, where where he's at. Um, he jumps on the uh, a comm unit and talks to Alfred. As he's talking to Alfred, Alfred informs him that the other Talons have been put in the cold storage laboratory in Wayne Enterprises for the time being. Um, then we then he says, "Okay, um, so what are we going to do about Mr. Powers?" As it turns out, Batman is tracking to figure out where Mrs. Powers is actually calling, and it's in a blackout zone. Turns out the place that this all really started was the original house that Bruce thought something was going on in. Um, he he goes back to the house and uh, goes, finds a room only and, and walks in only to find the Court of Owls all standing there, all sitting in chairs around a table, dead. So it appears as if they have all drank themselves, um, drank themselves to death with some sort of poison. Uh, we then cut to Bruce sitting in Wayne Manor, holding the two gun casings that killed his parents. And uh, Alfred informs him that he has to go have a meeting about a new park. As he's sitting there gazing at a picture of his parents, he realizes that he realizes something and takes off. He goes to the morgue and follow, and pulls a. Uh, you know, one of the compartments in the morgue open, only to find a, a sign that says, Follow me down the rabbit hole. Um, we then find a building called the the Willowwood Home for Children. And this building um, is located on a sinkhole. And uh, Bruce gives, you know, we've, we learn the history about the building, about how it used to be this great building. And uh, the problem was that there was a... There was a lot of abuse that happened inside of the building, and there was a lot of children who were left alone, naked, and rotting in their own filth because nobody took care of them. Um, Batman finds, you know, figures out somebody else is there, says, I'm here, ends up getting caught up in a net, and we see somebody standing there with uh, a net gun, and he's asking Batman to tell him who exactly he is. Who am I? Who am I? And Batman says, Well, I know you're not Lincoln March. Um, and then we see his face, and it is in fact Lincoln March, but it appears as, as if he has the same formula running through his body that the Talons did. We then see um, Batman going, uh, trying to cut himself out of the net, going back and forth with uh, Lincoln March saying, you know, you're, you're a traitor and a thief, and you just betrayed and poisoned all of those members of your own court. To which Lincoln March replies, unfortunately, they... They might have died, but that's just a small handful of the people that are actually there. Uh, Lincoln March then continues that uh, the Court of Owls came up with an idea of somebody to um, go against Batman when Batman became such a powerful force inside of Gotham City, and he starts putting on a uh, costume. He then goes back and forth, and he says, Well, how did you exactly figure out uh, who I was? <clears throat> so Batman proceeds to say, well, there's a bunch of different things. Criminals can't withstand leaving a clue for someone to find, you know, someone to catch them. So because of that, I've only been I've been listening to everything that you that I, I've just been thinking about everything that's been said, and I realize different things. But the most important thing is that at some point you said to me, while you were in the hospital, that your mother wore a pin, and it was a misshapen heart pin made of clay. But the reality is that you're lying because that pin belonged to my mother. Lincoln March says, The reality is that I'm your brother. I'm Thomas Wayne Uncle. Jr. And I'm the opposite of what you are. I'm from the other side of the mirror. 
He then goes into an explanation of how exactly it all happened and how he got to be um, in the Willowwood home for children. Turns out there was an accident and he was born, but something was wrong with him and his parents put him in there. The problem was that once his parents were murdered, the Willowwood uh, home for children lost their biggest benefactor and the, the home went to crap. So because of that, he turned in, he blames Bruce because it was, he blames Bruce for his parents' murder. And in turn, he says, you're now going to face us, you're you're now going to face, we're going to face each other, Wayne to Wayne, brother to brother, owl to bat, as he reveals himself in, in a new owl man costume. We then get to the backup where we see Jarvis Pennyworth running, and he's, uh, running from, a Talon. As it turns out, we actually see the story of how Bruce Wayne was three years old and his mother was pregnant with another child. In, and she is dealing with uh, the mayor who is trying to um, prevent her from actually getting some uh, land made for some schools. As she's dealing with this, she uh, tells Jarvis that she's sick and tired of being threatened by the mayor and this, that, and the other. What ends up happening is Jarvis turn, soon finds out that it's something much larger than the mayor and his goons that's threatening her. There's something very much, there's something much more powerful. Um, he picks up the phone one day only to be, to, to get a phone call telling him to bring the, uh, bring Martha Wayne to the docks and leave her there. And, Jarvis says, who is this? Who do you think you are? Why would I ever do that? And as he says that, an owl flies straight into the window. He tells Martha Wayne about this and explains that, um, you know, this is this is much bigger than, I, than, than the mayor's goons. And because of that, she says, I don't really care. I'm not going to be terrorized in my own city. Get the car. I, I'm, I'm going to take Bruce to see the new school grounds. And uh, as they're in a car and they're driving... Um, what ends up happening is the car, uh, the, there's an owl that uh, booby traps the road and the car gets into a car crash with Jarvis, Bruce, and Martha inside. And that and that crash took place on the corner of Lincoln and March. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Alright, Batman number 10. This was a great issue. I, I mean, there... If there's anybody on this podcast who, who thinks otherwise, that's great. They're entitled to their own opinions, but I thought this was a great issue. Um, I mean, did I really see that Lincoln March was still alive after we saw him dead in two different titles last month? No. Did I see the reveal that Lincoln March really wasn't Lincoln March? No. Did I see that ultimately this person was Thomas Wayne Jr., Bruce's brother? No. I mean, it was... It, this is something that I looked at when I read this I looked at this as a wow this is something that Grant Morrison would have done when he was writing the book yeah. he was the big bat writer this is something that he would have done he would have pulled something f- randomly from history that has nothing to do with current continuity and plug it in and make it real and make it legitimate and make it work and that's what I saw when I when I read this. Scott Snyder clearly had an idea of what he was doing from the very beginning. And the best part about this was, you know, when I talked to him back in October and interviewed him and we talked about all the, all the various things, and obviously it was very early in Batman, so there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. But we, we've talked numerous times about Lincoln March. 
And this character has to play an important role. And you heard us all last month go on and on about how how could this be the end of Lincoln March? How could this be the end? This character is supposed to be very important. This character is supposed to be very important. Joe goes to Kapow and asks yeah. and asks Scott Snyder about about Lincoln March. Where's Lincoln March? There had to be more to Lincoln March than that. And this is why. Because Lincoln March was a front for Thomas Wayne Jr., Bruce's brother that Bruce never knew about. I mean, I obviously there's all kinds there's all kinds of articles online and things like that, and this is a character that has been pulled out of a story way back in the day. It was from World's Finest, a three issue story arc that featured this this brother of that of Bruce Wayne that Bruce had no idea about. But also it plays into, you know, one of the things that I talked to Scott Snyder about back in October about, you know, this, you know, the owl man, the owl, the owl has been, you know, the, the, the opposite of Batman for all this time. And Snyder was going on about, you know, yeah, and we have owl man from the different earths, like we've seen in Crisis on Infinite Earth and Earths and things like that, and the crime syndicate, but you never would have seen owl man appear in this, in this universe, because that's not, nobody would have ever done that. But to tie it somehow together and make it into, not only is he your brother, but he wants to, he 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 believes that he is the exact opposite of you, and he's take, he's donating this owl costume. I mean, it's it's like it's perfect. It's a perfect setup for this owl man character. He never said he was owl man, so I mean that's just that's just some, me taking some liberties. But I mean, perfect setup for a character named Owl Man because that's exactly what he mm-hmm. is. Owlman has always been the exact opposite of what Batman is. But anyway, I I mean, I don't really want to go on and on about this because the reality is there it's it's really good. <laughs> I did not see it coming and I'm glad that I'm glad that it was all worth the wait. I'm glad that our our faith that we put in the importance of Lincoln March was not, you know, diminished last month when we thought it was. And I think the entire play of everything was just perfect. Um, the 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 backup story was good too. I mean, clearly it's just it's explaining the the history of Thomas Wayne Jr. to make it more legitimate as this person is real and this is what actually happened. But I also like the the fact with the 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 backup is that you know it explains why Alfred is not ridiculously old <laughs> um, because Alfred wasn't around before Bruce was even born. He was around after Bruce was born and he came around after that. Um, clearly, Bruce in this story is three years old, and Alfred, and, and and his parents are murdered when he's his parents are murdered when he's eight years old. So I mean, there's still five years between between this story and when his parents are murdered for Alfred to come and and you know be around. But even so, Alfred would still probably be pretty young, somewhere in his twenties. So he's only going to be maybe twenty years older than than Bruce, which is smart because that makes sense. If Bruce is, like, let's say, 30 or 35, Alfred's only 50, 55, and that, you know, that makes sense. But anyway, I enjoyed this remarkably well, and, you know, the thing is, I almost feel like we're doing a double of what Scott Snyder did when he was on Detective, where it wasn't the last issue of the story arc that was the, the, the greatest issue, it was the second to last issue. I don't know how he's going to top this, I don't know that he can top this to to close out this you know close out the uh, the story arc with 
even a bigger reveal or even a more important event that happens than what's happened in this issue. But either way, um, nobody saw this coming, and I expect Scott Snyder to be nominated for some awards down the line because he just proved yet again that he has plenty of tricks up his sleeve. Four and a half out of five batterings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I remember um, the inter- interwebs were a buzz uh, the day this issue came out. I, I didn't get to it after I got off work around the middle of the day. So I was like, huh, I better I better go to the shop near a shop and get this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this thing was four ninety nine, <laughs> as all the uh, combo packs are. This is actually, I actually got the last copy for my for my store, which was the combo pack and the and the and the foil, the package. So I'm like, wow, this must really be a big deal. And I read it, and I'm like, yeah, this is a big deal. <laughs> um, this was great. Uh, like just on on regular terms as an issue, this was amazing. I loved how Batman just shows up like like going down. Like that is that's that's my kind of Batman storytelling. Like how he just kind of appears and creeps people out, and like has that sort of like really wry, individualistic kind of sense of humor, but he's still, like, you know, he's still tough, he's still menacing, he's still cool, he's still sneaky. He's still a detective. There's a lot of detective work in this issue, but it's it's that's not laid on very thick. It's like, oh, Batman's being a detective. Like, he, his obsessiveness is, is presented through his detective skills and his great talent at being a detective, and that's just excellent. And at the end, uh, uh, Lincoln March slash Thomas Jr. slash Owlman does get a little bit monologue with, you know, and then what happened, Batman, but you don't care because you want to know what happens next. And he also, he has Batman, in, you know, in his, in his uh, trap, so he can do whatever he wants. Um, when Lincoln March was, was revealed to be alive, I wasn't surprised, or no, I didn't see it coming, but I wasn't necessarily surprised. When he said he wasn't Lincoln March, I was I was intrigued, and when it was building and building and building, I was like, oh okay, because I had a fear that they were going to retcon, you know, that they always kill the Waynes, but it doesn't, you know, at least at this point, it doesn't seem to be so. When he was revealed to be like Thomas Wayne Jr., I was like, huh. And then articles online came out uh, talking about how this kind of stemmed back to the, uh, the whole Owlman identity, especially in Grant Morrison's Earth 2, where Owlman was literally Thomas Wayne Jr. And how this, this goes back to the Silver Age and the Bronze Age about the possibilities of, of, a, of a younger Wayne brother, younger than Bruce, who um, there's a car accident and the name Willowwood and all that stuff. I'm like, wow, this really, really, this, this rolls deep. And... Um, this is absolutely a, something that Grant Morrison, or even I would say even Alan Moore, would have pulled in terms of like taking continuity and stringing it along to where it's not contrived, but it makes so much sense. And like for him to be the new Owl Man, that's pretty awesome. I gotta say, um, the art was great, the backup was great. Um, it, you know, and I'm dying to see what happens next. Five out of five batterings. The first time I read this, I. Uh... I was, unaw- I was unaware of the history behind it, and I mean, it was, well, to be honest, the first thing that happened when I was reading this is I had seen articles online saying the big reveal, this huge reveal, you know, follow the link for the spoiler-ridden thing. So I, I didn't click on them, but I'd still, I knew, I was suspecting something. So all the way through, I was kind of, I was going through, seeing like. Oh no, no, it's Alfred, isn't it? Alfred's a talent. <gasps> yeah, me like, too. Oh, no, I it's, yeah. it's his parents. His parents were killed by talents. And then like, all yeah. the way through, things like this were happening. And then, like Don, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of it's 
you think it is, and then you think it is, and you then you think it isn't again, and then it's it's been hinted at, and then like disproven so many times that you're just like you don't think it will be, and then when it is revealed to be Lincoln March, you're like you kind of convince us, you're like oh yeah, I saw that coming, but you really didn't, and it's like like you, I'm not like Don, I'm not surprised, but at the same time, I didn't see it coming, especially in the way that it was written, and. Yeah, the fr- I mean, when I first read it, and so like, I'm your brother. I was like, "What? What is this? What's going on now?" And then I then Don sent me a link to the the articles online about the history behind it, and that's and that's when I was like, "Okay, that that's really clever." And thinking that this isn't so much related to the issue, but it's amazing how like I and then I, I'm sure other people do the same thing. So willing to accept something if it's kind of been in there before. It's been in like one story, like a three-issue arc, I think Dustin said, and yet, because there's that one reference, you know, we're we're able to accept it, and yet, the first time that was written, like, if we read that story today, and it was like, Bruce Wayne has a younger brother, we'd all be like, oh, what is this? What's going on now? Betrayal. <laughs> exactly. But, because it's been there before, and it's like a link back, it's, we just see it as a, like, really clever thing, and it is, I mean, Especially when it's like, I'm sure some people like, if if I didn't know there was that history behind it, I w- I would be really unhappy with this. And I'm sure that there are some people who who wouldn't care who just see that as like a really cool story thing. And then like, but it's it's got that deeper meaning for people who like, who maybe don't care, but then like they find out or or know that, and that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Capullo was really strong in this issue, one of the best. I mean, I, there's a lot more white borders in it, which. I think it helps it just because I've always been a bit I've always found that his panels kind of blend into each other a bit and I know a lot of people don't like the white panels but I think it's really helped clear it up a bit <laughs> um, yeah this really was like an amazing story and it has been an amazing story I think the whole Court of Vowels no matter how skeptical skeptical I've been of like how it turned out it's always risen to something greater than I thought it would be and there have been times where I've felt it dragging a bit or times where I felt it a bit similar and you know it has in some bits but it's it's always goes like a step up or like it takes a different direction or it thinks you're going somewhere and it goes completely like somewhere else and like Dustin I mean this this definitely needs another issue to wrap everything up but I hope it doesn't just finish with like a fight between these between Thomas Jr. and uh, Batman but you know, I hope there's like more story and more is revealed, and there's like a good conclusion to the story because there needs to be because otherwise it's gonna be a complete letdown. Uh, as for the backup, I was still the first time I read it, riding on the fact that I didn't think this was an established thing. So I was like, oh, maybe he's he did go here, but you know, though he's badly treated, maybe, and you know, it was a, a home for mentally unbalanced children maybe he actually is crazy <laughs> so I was like I was going into that hoping for the next issue and then I was reading this and going what it's true no what's going on but again knowing now what I know it's it's a lot better uh, I, I thought it was well written it's, it's it definitely doesn't feel as exciting as the the main storyline but I love how it relates without being a direct continuation of uh, what's going on in the main story um I'm a bit confused as to how Lincoln March knows, you know, Bruce Wayne and he I mean, 
how he knows he's his brother and stuff because if Bruce Wayne is his older brother especially you know if there uh, it sounds like there weren't this isn't the place where like records were kept and stuff and it would be easy to find out but I don't know that, that might just be that's obviously more of a like a, a plot line than like a thematic thing which is amazing in this book so you know hopefully that's the sort of thing that will be maybe revealed in the next issue or maybe I'm just you know trying to find something to not like about it I don't know but it really was a, a great issue so I'll give it four and a half out of five batteries I think definitely Joe voice everything that um well that led me up to this issue is just that I felt like this story kind of was frustrating the entire storyline yeah it had its great moments but I kept wondering oh my gosh when is it going to happen and then Night of the Owls happened and that's been a great ride and then we come to this which I certainly see as the climax though I'm sure other people will argue that the next issue is but oh it was just like the coup d'etat it was just a, a wonderful wonderful issue I loved the opening, you know, it's so different to see an owl in this way, you know, natural habitat, but very vulnerable, at home, no friends, and that was just like a completely different way to see one of these people. It's interesting that Batman is collecting all of the talons that he's beaten, because uh, I didn't, I certain, or I guess his, his agents as well, because I didn't really see that. I, I had been sort of wondering, well, what happens to that talons once Nightwing, you know, beat his great-grandpaps or, you know, Damien, what happens to them? And so he's actually been collecting them, which is a little unnerving if you think about it. If he ever goes insane, he may have his own army. I like that uh, Ducard is brought back into the discussion and we talk about, um, you know, how powerful feelings are. And I like that it goes back to Bruce's childhood and how he tried to find these owls in the very beginning but got trapped in the house. And it's all somewhat, you know, ties to his parents' death, you know, at least obliquely. And it's great that Snyder is able to really put these little um, little bits in each of the issues leading up to this. Because, yeah, we go back to this house that was mentioned way earlier. I don't even want to throw out <laughs> an issue number. But it's great that he knew where it was going. And that's, I think, the sign of a skilled writer. I was right there with Batman not believing things felt right with the court dead. Uh, you know, I just could never see them giving up so easily. And so just that scene didn't really sit well with me. I, like Donathan and Joe, I thought, oh no, is Alfred, is he <laughs> evil? Like, it's all been coming down to this. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. But, uh, you know, what a shocking reveal, though, with March and with all the things going on. Like, that was the first thing, that he was alive. And then there was still more. Lincoln March is Bruce's brother. And I was like, oh, buddy. Well, gee, I guess it makes sense that Bruce and Marsh were always drawn similarly. Because I always thought, you know, when they're together, they always looked really similar. But I thought, oh, that's just, you know, that's the way that he's that's doing art. it. But, uh, but now it, it really does make sense. And it's funny to know that, you know, he was around in the 60s. And it just sort of reminds me of Babs. Babs's brother that was a camp counselor and you know he was a spy and died but didn't really die uh, so it, it's just great that they're you know he thought about this Snyder thought about this which is great 
it was just a great issue. A lot of intense moments, and, and mainly leading up to the main reveal. And now I certainly agree. Now a friend of mine said that he it didn't totally sit right with him because it, it very much seemed like a hush-like reveal, and he does not like the hush story at all, so I had to dismiss his feelings. But, you know, I can see that. I can see that it is very hush-like, because they introduced this character in the beginning and he turned out to be the bad guy but I think that this is the right way to do um, the Hush story if it were ever to be done again this is sort of the way to do it because you were shocked with the whole revelation and with everything that happened you did not see it coming he died he seemed like really the perpetual good guy and yeah you thought something was wrong but he died and then all of this and all of it stacking together so oh dear it was just it was a wonderful story if talon number zero or what the whole new story if it were about this guy if he lives which would be great i think that that would be a great story to do um, but I don't know what's going to happen to him. I- I'm interested to see how <sighs> how it goes from here. I mean, this is the top, and so I'm wondering if this particular issue can be beaten, and how do you end a storyline like this? Those are my main questions. But five out of five, certainly, for this story. I love the backup. I love it, love it. Uh, it's just great looking into the past and, you know, how the owls were involved with the Waynes. I especially liked that the car accident, which uh, Thomas talked of, uh, TJ, that is, happened on the corner of Lincoln and March, which is great. And and I wondered if this particular car accident was uh, the cause of the damage to Martha's unborn child, which I assume I assume it was. But, gee, I don't know. It's It was just great. Five out of five batterings. Alright, so Batman number 10 gets a total of four and a half out of five batterings. That's all of our books. Let's throw it over to John with Bat Books for Beginners. And welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm your host, John. And this week, we're going to review Contagion. This was a crossover in the Batman books from March 1996 to April 1996. This has, apart from Batman Chronicle, been collected in trade paperback form. According to ComicCron.com, Batman reached 13th place in comic sales and Robin topped out at 28th in the two months that it was released. And when it was released in trade paperback, it reached 9th in the top trade paperbacks and retailed for $13. This story is basically an interconnection. It connects with Bane of the Demon, which you can listen to me review on the last episode, and also is part of the run into No Man's Land, tying in with Batman Legacy and Cataclysm as well. It was written by a series of writers, Alan Grant, Chuck Dixon, Dennis O'Neill, Doug Monarch, Grant Ennis and Christopher Priest, with art by various artists such as Vince Guerrero, Tommy Lee Edwards, Mike Warings, Jim Ballant, Barry Kitson, Kelly Jones, Graham Nolan, John McRae, Matt Haley and Frank Fosco. So, with so much exciting talent, is this going to be an excellent episode, or should you avoid it like the plague? We open with an infected monster rampaging in a lab. He infects one of the assistants in 
the lab before being shot. Meanwhile, Batman is being warned by Azrael about a plague called the Apocalypse Virus, which is heading towards Gotham. For details about how and why it's coming to Gotham, listen to the last episode, entitled Bane of the Demon. They trace the source to a man who has returned to Babylon Towers from Africa. Batman decides to head to the military lab where it is being tested to gain more information about it, being told that the only hope is to find a survivor to get an antidote. He returns to the cave, and him and Robin go to find the man who was infected, only to discover that he's already ill and is spreading the virus. However, it is also already outside the tower, despite their attempts to contain it, as the pilot who flew the man from Africa has caught it and has spread it to his family. Batman discovers there is a survivor in Canada and decides to try and track him down. Meanwhile, the people inside Babylon Towers offer a reward for a cure. Robin and Alfred are sent to Toronto to find Kendall Stewart, who survived the last outbreak in a remote Canadian town. Robin arrives to find Catwoman also looking for Kendall as well, in return for the reward being offered. After a fight, they agree to team up and to try and find him. It transpires that Penguin, in search for the reward offered by Babylon Towers, has sent a bounty hunter to also find Kendall. Meanwhile, the National Guard are brought in to try and maintain law and order in Gotham. Robin and Catwoman arrive at a log cabin to take Kendall to Gotham, only to find that Tracker, Penguin's bounty hunter, has beaten them to it. They fight and are only interrupted by Asriel's arrival. Whilst Asriel and Catwoman fight Tracker, Robin and Kendall escape. However, they are attacked by assassins. Despite Robin's efforts, Kendall is killed. Before he dies, Kendall tells Asriel and Catwoman there are more survivors. They don't tell Robin and instead go looking for them themselves. Asriel calls Oracle to get info on who the other survivors are, and it turns out they are looking for a man named Fong. Tracker catches up with them and he agrees to help them for a cut of the reward. Asriel and Catwoman and Tracker reach Fong, who believes himself to be invincible, and stabs himself to prove it, and promptly dies. Robin returns to Batman, who says that it is getting worse in the city. Harvey Bullock and Renee Montoya visit a scientist who says that for the vaccine to work, the survivor must be alive. Batman attempts to develop a cure, whilst Nightwing and Robin try to quell a series of riots. Batman turns to Poison Ivy to test the vaccine on those in Babylon Towers, as she is immune to the virus due to her ability to be impervious to all sorts of poisons. However, whilst quelling the riot, Robin is sneezed on and contracts the virus, whilst Poison Ivy goes rogue and instead makes money from the vaccine. This forces Batman to go into Babylon Towers and take down Ivy with the help of Jim Gordon. Whilst Alfred fights to keep Robin alive, Catwoman contacts Oracle to track one final survivor, an Inuit Leonard Wee, who is in Florida. We then sidestep to Batman Chronicles number 4, which has three short stories, each dealing with a character. The first is Hitman, in which a human has been modified to contain a lot of viruses, and has escaped from a military camp. Batman believes that he can engineer a cure from him, however he must first stop Hitman from killing the man who would save Gotham. We also get Huntress Exposure, in which Huntress looks for one of the children from her school, where she teaches in the hope that he is fine and possibly a survivor. However, when she finds him, he is already infected. The final issue is Beggar's Banquet, in which 
a delirious Tim Drake, imagines everyone knows he is Robin. And he, his father and mother, and Ariana, his love interest at the time, all live happily. We return to the main thread with Catwoman locking Tracker into the trunk of a car while she goes for Leonair. Leonair is taken by some men after it is revealed her boyfriend owes a gangster money for stealing from him. Catwoman rescues Leonair from them and returns to Gotham. They are intercepted by Tracker again, who is again beaten up by Catwoman. She hands Leonair over to Batman. However, Batman says Leonair can't help, as she has a natural immunity, so has no antibodies to it. Meanwhile, Asriel and his two friends Brian and Lithy work out the virus looks like the symbol for the Order of St. Damas. We then cut to members of the Order of St. Mass, who do some exposition and say that the plan was to wipe out most of the Earth and leave only the pure. Asriel and his friends work out a cure from some of the books they stole from the Order. Asriel makes it to Gotham Medical Center despite the Order's best attempts to stop him, and he makes a cure. Tim is cured, and as Batman and Nightwing go out to help the police, Tim is asked for help as gunmen are preventing the cure from getting to some people. Tim teams up with Catwoman to stop them. He returns home to find his parents pleased to see him, and he is relieved that they are alive, as well as Ariana, who calls to make sure that he is fine, and, as a complete surprise, turns up at Tim's house. And so ends the series. This was a great crossover. I really enjoyed the storyline with Batman powerless to save Gotham, which was an interesting way of doing it. Often Batman is just fighting villains, and it was great to see him stuck and powerless, only driven by the desire to do something. Endangering Robin was a great touch and made it much more personal for Batman. The Tower of Babylon was an interesting side story, which referenced the Mask of the Red Death, where the rich party whilst people die outside until the plague enters into their house. It was also interesting to see people blaming the rich for the problems as well, especially in this modern context where there seems to be a growing gulf between the rich and the poor and each side blaming one another for the problems. The skills of the writers show through with great writing and characterization for all the characters and there were a lot of characters in this series and each one was really really strong. Each story linked and overlapped and it was very easy to follow. The change in art styles could be jarring at times and it was sometimes a bit weird especially when there was completely different styles. Oracle regularly changes her hair for example and if I was to pick a weak artist, I would say Kelly James. He can't really draw people. Bullock and Montoya look really strange, and the scientists seem to either be really fat or completely and utterly mad, which got quite irritating quite quickly. I did still enjoy the art, with Gotham often looking bleak and despairing, which was a nice touch, and it seemed to reflect the mood of Batman. I would make this essential reading for any Batfan, and as I've said, Batman, a new challenge, and it is, in my opinion, something completely different from what we've been reviewing. So I would give this a total of 5 out of 5 Batarangs. I think it's perfect. So that was Contagion. So the next series that we will be reviewing is Catwoman, The Wheels of Plagues. Uh, this ties into Batman Contagion as well, and it will be interesting to see how it interlinks and if it's as good. So now I'll hand you back over to Dustin and the guys. Thanks very much for listening.
right, so that was Bat Book for Beginners. Make sure you check out the website for all the latest episodes and all of the previous episodes for Bat Books for Beginners. As far as what we will be covering next time on the podcast, we will be covering Batman Beyond Unlimited number 5, the Batman chapters from that title, Batman Incorporated number 2, Batwoman number 10, Birds of Prey number 10, Catwoman number 10, Nightwing number 10, Red Hood and the Outlaws number 10, and Batman the Dark Knight number 10. So not a ton of issues compared to what we had a month ago, but nonetheless, uh, we do have more issues than we do this month, or this episode, and unfortunately, two, almost three hours into it, because these books were really that good, so the discussion is not going to happen, so the discussion will just end up being that, you know, the golden goose that always gets away. That being said, that is everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website and check out all the latest news related to not only everything related to the comics, but also movie, TV, merchandise, and video game news. Tons of news related to The Dark Knight Rises. Um, Dark Knight Rises is, while you're listening to this, less than a month away, so be sure to be checking out the website for all the latest news. Also, for all kinds of editorials related to The Dark Knight Rises as we get closer. In addition to that, you can check out all of our other podcast feeds and leave comments and reviews for those podcasts. Those are always greatly appreciated. You can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast or any of the other podcasts. And, of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by simply clicking the links at the top of the website. You can always join the forums. Just be sure if you join the forums, be sure to send us an email and letting us know that you need your account activated. And besides that, you can always just randomly chat with us by popping on the forums as well as leaving comments on the website. So that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. This is Jay. And don't forget... To support the BatmanUniverse.net by going on and clicking the Fandango link and buying your The Dark Knight Rises tickets in advance. And this is Stella helping you out there. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Get out there and vote. Goodbye. What? <laughs> you betrayed the law. Law. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Dick in the book. Oh, sorry. Oh, I've got Dick on the brain. I'm looking... <laughs> you sure do. Yikes. That's a real Dick thing to say. Dick Grace. Uh, I've got Tim on the brain. Wait, no. What? I'm looking for... No, 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 no. It'll be good to finally get a follow-up to... Is it Becky? Yes. Is that her name? No, Harper. Harper. I, what? Hmm. <laughs> hmm. It will uh, be good to definitely. Oh. Oh it will definitely be good. <laughs> to- we got, don't get dick in the mouth. <laughs> oh my gosh! It's easier to talk when dick's not in your mouth. <laughs>
What is going on? <laughs> and Joe will read for Dan Dio. Better do your Dan Dio voice. Hey, how you doing? Hey, yo, way, yo, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we knew we wanted to start all of us. <laughs> it wasn't me this time, that's all I have to say. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Me so hungry. I can tell. Should've eaten before the podcast. I didn't know it was going to be at 3 o'clock. <laughs> I didn't check till like 5 till 3, I was like, oh no. One of the things I think we didn't do with the new 52 that we should have done was have more original ideas in there. We had <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I got a random text message during the week from Stella saying, "Would you ra if you had to date one of these two, who would you rather be with?" <laughs> Good stuff. Which one was it? Or were they? It was uh, Lady Clayface Four or Clayface Four or Baby Doll. To which I said, "Baby Doll." Dude, Clay Lady Clayface Four. She could turn to stuff. And Baby Doll's like, yeah. Lady, three, three years old. Lady Clayface was like, um, I'm pretty sure she could change the stuff, but if you were like to try to touch her and stuff, she would be all clay. Like, I don't want to like try to hug up on her and suddenly get covered in crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Comic series. I think he'd even kind of joked or hinted about it. So, what was I just talking then? Yes. <laughs> I like. I was talking, and then I I knocked my mute button, and it felt as if I knocked it from off to on. And I was like, "Hang on, was like, I'd only half nudged it." Okay. Where was I? I thought you got hit in the head. <laughs> I thought I thought I thought I thought time changed, and like like I don't know, you won this grand adventure. <laughs> Where was I? You thought it was. You, you said it was. Were sane. That it was expected that Brian Cum this was going to happen because Brian Kimiller was going to be writing it, and that uh, he may have hinted at it. I guess that's pretty much it. <laughs>